All right, you guys, welcome to the Dangerous Info Podcast. This is going to sound a little bit different right here in the beginning because on last night's show, which was so awesome, episode 131, with with Nathan Reynolds, the radical intelligent evil. Um, Man, you guys, this episode is going to blow your mind when you hear it. Um, The reason for this alternate intro right here is because there was an audio issue uh, and it was crazy. You'll hear it. You'll hear it coming up in the beginning of the show. Uh, well, about halfway through, just when he comes on. you It's crazy, you guys. I lost audio. Um, they could hear me, but I could not hear them. So it turned into a crazy night. Outcast had to take over, and he did great with it. All right. So uh, Outcast and Nathan were the stars of the show. I immediately became a producer, and uh, you know I was just managing all the chats, trying to keep up with them. I started watching it on Rumble, so I was delayed fifteen to you know fifteen seconds. So I, <laughs> it was crazy. It was just wild the way it turned out. So I just want you guys to check that out, and um, you'll hear it. It starts out pretty much normal. But um, about halfway through, I'm telling you guys, it's it's nutty. So uh, here we go. This is Dangerous Simple Podcast. Thank you, guys. Our institutions have become corrupt. Unconstitutional agencies are infringing on your rights. What will it take for you to open your eyes to the tyranny at hand? You're an American born with unalienable rights, yet those rights are being trampled every day by unelected busybodies. Your liberty was secured by strong men, and women of yesterday. Are you willing to let it slip away? You're listening to the Dangerous Info Podcast with Jesse James. Jesse James. Come on, Jesse. I'm ready right now. Time is a wasted, wasted, wasted. Top our news here at 6 o'clock, an age-old dream becoming a reality. A local inventor has discovered a way, hear this, to use water to run your car. It's a major breakthrough that will no doubt make motorists happy. And as Ralph Robinson explains, the Pentagon is also showing lots of interest in this project. Water has always been considered a precious commodity, but Stan Meyer's invention may make it even more valuable. He has developed what's called a water fuel cell. It has taken the place of his old gas tank. The water fuel cell breaks down water molecules into oxygen and hydrogen. The hydrogen is used to run his dune buggy. I don't care if you use rainwater, well water, city water, ocean water. If you don't have any fresh water, go ahead and use snow. If you don't have any snow available to you, they use salt water because there's no adverse effect to the fuel cell. Myers started working on this project four years ago. He's not a scientist. He isn't even a chemist. In fact, he never graduated from college. Myers was determined, he says, to design something to protect this country from oil embargoes. We have calculated that if we take the dune buggy from Los Angeles to New York, we would roughly use 22 gallons of water. The Pentagon flew a lieutenant colonel in last week to look at Myers' invention. There's talk of possibly using it in the Star Wars defense program and to run army tanks. Myers is currently perfecting a water fuel cell for cars. It will cost about $1,500. He says it won't need any maintenance and you won't have to replace it. It'll be at least two years before the fuel system goes into mass production. The date happens will be one the fuel industry hates. But it'll put a smile on the face of those who've had to say at one time or another, fill her up. Did any of you ever hear anything about the War Brokers? If you want to study about history of World War I, World War II, you'll start to realize there were men spatially trained and women trained in order to bring countries into war, to break their economic back, to take over the controls of their countries. You ever hear of the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, 
You ever hear about the Council uh, of the Group of 300? You hear about the internationalists that are controlling to bring in a one world government. Now we're heading for a one world government, but unfortunately, if the one world government is headed under a control, it's controlled by a Mussolini, a Mussolini or a Hitler or a person filled with a demonic spirit, we're in one heck of a problem. If that democratic society of the world government would be a representative of each country in the world, then in fact we could be able to stabilize as people upon the earth. The attitude that the multi-internationalists is to come up with zero growth, industrial growth, zero population growth. When I was making a presentation in Geneva to 52 uh, nations there, I was blocked in presenting this technology, not because of the viability of the technology, because the international attitude is they do not want industrial growth to be maintained. There's a move to try to force the countries to accept that they would sign over their natural resource rights. That if you signed over your natural resource rights, you have taken over the countries without even firing a shot. This is to help bring in a one world government. The number one thing that will diffuse the entire episode and be able to maintain us is to bring an alternate energy source in that we could be able to sustain and maintain not only the industrial base of this country, but of the world. And therefore, I will share this information with you. And once I share it with you, then you have a responsibility. I'm sharing a responsibility to you so great. Now, the power structures to be, we all hear about the guys that invent the, the carburetors that go 200 miles per hour and what have you, and they never get out of the market area. We talk about high energy systems, a development of high technology, and they never seem to get out in the marketplace. Why is that? You know, and Rockefeller, Rockefeller was a very smart man to get our economies to operate on fossil fuel. He got a hold of a think tank. And in the think tank, he says, I want you to come up with motivating thoughts that would demotivate the people in order to bring us up on the fossil fuels. You see, at that time, we're talking about high energy research and development, are we not? And yet Rockefeller wanted to convince the population of the world that we need fossil fuel to maintain the economies and therefore suppress and prevent altered energy sources. What if this man was murdered for inventing a car that ran on water? Inventor Stanley Allen Mayer claimed he had invented a water fuel cell for use on cars. In theory, eliminating the need for gasoline and providing a clean and free energy source for automobiles. He demonstrated his device on an Ohio news station using a dune buggy fitted with his invention, stating that only 22 gallons of water would be required to travel from Los Angeles to New York. On March 20th, 1998, while at a dinner meeting with Belgian investors, along with his brother, Mayer allegedly leapt up after taking a sip from his drink, running out of the restaurant screaming, they poisoned me, grasping at his throat before collapsing on the ground and dying in the parking lot. Only a week later, the car and the fuel cell were allegedly stolen from Mayer's garage. Officially, his death was ruled as a brain aneurysm. But were more sinister forces at work here? Uh, hey, thanks for dressing up, bro. <laughs> you got the crack? All right. I'm not staying here any longer, bro. When Marjorie starts talking, we're out, all right? All right. Man, I need a hit. I said a crack, rock, the hunter to the Biden. I smoke lots of crack and I won't stop smoking because my laptop is leaking, but up jumps my daddy. He's a pedo of America's seed. Now the videos you see are all fake news and crack pipes won't burn your tea. Because Google, the news, and pedo Peter are going to make sure you all don't see. 
that my name's Hunter, man, and I really do like blow. The Ukraine, my gun, the Burisma, man, my paintings and my hose. But first, I got a light, light to crack it to the pipe. I laundered lots of money with the big guy beside me. Is that rock? I won't stop. I break the law, repeat, and then I walk. Now Marjorie can't make me talk, so I need to say goodbye. So ignore all the tweets and don't forget to vote for the big guy. Let's go. Broadcasting from a secret location near Detroit, Michigan. Jesse James and Outcast are on the run, exposing the plans of the technocratic overlords and their political hand puppets. Stay safe out there, brothers. You're listening to the Dangerous Info Podcast with Jesse James. Ah, yeah, you guys, it is Monday night. It is Monday, 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 January 15th, 2024. Welcome to the spiritual battle of our lives, everybody. Remember this, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's Ephesians 5.11, one of our best, one of our favorite quotes in the Bible. Remember this, you guys, this is not the same world that we grew up in. The race to 2030 is now 2025, and the spirits of these Nephilim giants have been passed on to the satanic international elite, and they're trying to gain control over humanity. Are we going to wake up for the coming struggle? Well, we're going to find out soon enough, but remember this, you guys, in the end, God wins. Hey, tonight is our show sponsor, DangerousOffGrid.com, you guys, because food security is paramount for your family. So I I want you guys to learn how to harden your skills while you still have the time and the means to do so. So please visit DangerousOffGrid.com and prepare yourself for the coming struggle. I want to uh, uh, give a big welcome and thank you guys to all the live viewers tonight over on Rumble, Pilled Foxhole, Twitch, Twitter, CloutHub, and DLive. And to all the podcast listeners listening to this later, welcome. I know some of you guys are driving trucks. Some of you guys are in the uh, office. Some are on some heavy equipment. Wherever you're at, some are doctors, some are lawyers. We have them all over the place, all over the world, all different lifestyles. So welcome to the show, everybody. This is the Dangerous Info Podcast with Jesse James and Outcast. And tonight we have a big show for you guys. It's crazy. It's going to be a good one. It's frozen up here tonight. Hey, listen, I'm going to check the Super Chats, the Rumble Rants, and the Gold Pills. Those are our tip cups, our live tip cups for all you guys, all right? Also, if you guys want to get your comments in and questions before the show, right now we might be able to add them to the show. Go to DangerousSuperChats.com. That's DangerousSuperChats.com. Get in on the show. And tonight's show, yes, I said it's a big one, episode number 131. This is Radical Intelligent Evil featuring Nathan Reynolds, you guys. It's a big one. It's going to blow your mind, I'm telling you. I can't wait to get into this. Right now, I want to give a big shout-out to our current supporters of the show. Hey, you know what? We have some brand new ones this week. Deb Santos via Subscribestar and Cape Ho via Patreon. Those are a couple of brand new ones we had just this week. Now, also, give a big shout-out to our... Uh, the rest of our Dangerous Info Supporter family, Biffer Mac, Fire Doug, Ryan Mansfield Show, Carmen Rosario, Jill Bark, Chad Geyer, Manny Espejo, Michelle Yerkes, Hamhock, 
Dwayne and Teresa Lazowski, Heidi Human, Pastor Eric King, Steph Mead, Cheryl E., and Bonnie Moriarty. You know what, you guys? Tonight, you guys are our show sponsor. I want to say a big shout-out to you guys for supporting independent media like this. And remember, we're not supported by Pfizer. Nope. We're supported by you guys, the informed audience of the dangerous Info Patriots. That's right. And now I'd like to welcome to the stage, all the way from Detroit City Limits, everybody put your hands together for Outcast tonight. What's going on, brother Outcast? <laughs> I like that intro. That's cool. Oh. It's almost like a fight, you know? It's like, yeah. uh, hey, welcome. Let's get ready to rumble. Welcome to zero degrees here in the frozen north, right? Dude, is, yeah. I, I got to tell you, um, I want to sing your praises to our listeners. Um, you helping my in-laws out with the snowplow on Sunday was a, was a big thing. It was, like, it was a moral or like a, a morale booster for us. Um, you know, my my mother-in-law was contacting us, making it sound like it was this impenetrable force at the end of her driveway. Um, and we're an hour away. We're just thinking, I don't, we don't know if we have it in us to try to chip through ice to get through this. So you came and you plowed her out uh, graciously, kindly, without even questioning it. And uh, it was a really big thing in our day because we were busy the day before helping somebody else out that was in need. And uh, uh, it just felt... It just was hugely appreciated. Uh, um, when we got out there, we found that what, what else needed to be moved was movable. It was a bigger monster in our head than we thought it was. Than, than it wasn't real. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? I, it wasn't real. Yeah, it was. It was. It's been a long weekend because you know I, I plow snow. You guys, I'm 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 one of those guys who stay up and, and don't get any sn- uh, sleep. So um, from Friday, well, let me see. When I woke up Friday morning, I didn't get any real sleep until Sunday. So. Uh, you know, it's we. What do we have? We had almost eight to ten inches by, by Sunday. We had ten inches on the ground. And that Friday night, that big storm, you know, we had uh, that was a heavy, wet snow because the temp was still up. It was still you know thirty six. Well, you know, it, it went all the way down. So you know, we spent last night below zero. So we're heading that way again tonight. And uh, you know, that's fine with me. It's winter time, man. That's what it's all about. And you know, we're hunkered down up here in the north. But hey, that's what makes us uh, it makes us stronger, right? Hardens us, sharpens our <laughs> irons. <laughs> well, I mean, it went from like heavy, heavy wet snow on Friday yeah. to f- freezing the next day. So if you didn't get after it, uh, you might have a really frozen, hard mess on your hands. So my, my mother-in-law was like, we can't get out. We have a doctor's appointment and all this stuff on Monday. And my wife and I are like, oh, here we go. We got to go out there and pl- dig her out. And I just thought, I don't think I'm going to be able to move some of the stuff if it hasn't been touched. Uh, but that wasn't the case. It was movable. But thank you for when you showed up and pushed that snow out of the way, it like created this a mental gateway for us to kind of breathe a breath of fresh air, you know, a sigh of relief that we could tackle this. So, well, I listen, can't thank you yeah, no, listen, I, I'm glad to, uh, you know, to help out wherever I can, you know, if I'm wherever I'm at, um, if there's somebody in the ditch or whatever it is, if they're in my way, to, cause I got to get to a job, right. You know, I'm, guess what? I'm pulling them out. And, uh, it's crazy. Cause I had to pull out a guy. He was in the way in his neighborhood. And um, that, you know, I was trying to get to my job. It's just beyond where he's in the middle, just blocking everything. Right. And it was a, a plumbing truck. So, you know, he was in the ditch. But, you know, the truck, those are big trucks. And they was all sideways and everything. Right. So I was like, dude, I'm, I'm going to get you out. And uh, he goes, well, you know, I already called another truck to come help me out. One of the other uh, plumbing trucks. And I said, well, let's I'll get you out now because I got to get to that house up there and get them people out. So um, I hooked up to him and pulled him out and. 
He was trying to give me money and stuff. I was like, dude, don't worry about it. I just, you know, I'm just glad you can go on your way because I know you got to go rescue somebody else if they have frozen pipes because it's cold, snow everywhere, and you're on your way, brother. So just, dude, just go ahead. Yeah. That that is the attitude that we've got to have. It's it's a Christian attitude for sure, you know, no doubt about it. But even if we're going to go forward in whatever this whatever happens next in this journey of chaos. Uh, what's going to prevail that they can't control is the human spirit and, and humanity. <clears throat> they've yeah. been trying to they've been trying to rob us of our humanity uh, by telling us that we're animals and that we should hate each other for this reason or that reason or this this race or that race or this religion or that. But re- at the end of the day, people are good about helping each other. And and when you selflessly, when you're even though you're tired and you're working, you make time to do that for somebody. I mean that is. That's living the change that you want to see in the world. So uh, yeah. hats off to you. That's really cool. Well, yeah, no, no, no big problem to me. You know, I'm happy to help out, you know, and especially there, there, there's there's a lot of uh, elderly people who there's no way they could have tackled that with a shovel uh, that I run into all the time. So it's like, you know, if they're out there in the driveway um, and I'm going by, you know, it, it doesn't take much for me to just to drop the blade and knock off that front edge for them, you know. Um, because I, it's just, it's hard. I'm out there shoveling my, my tail off and it was, I'm telling you what, while it was, you know, 10 degrees, I'm sweating. I'm in my sweatshirt. Just, I had to take off all the other stuff cause it's just, I'm hot, you know, out there. So I was, I was too, I was doing that too. And you know, that, that road that my, uh, my in-laws live off of, they just, they plow them in. I mean, they, they, that, tr- that truck comes down there and yep. when you're older and they can't get out, it's just scary for you them. You know, what's, so, what's uh, crazy is, you know, there's. On a snowplow, all you guys, critical thinking people, just you, you know what's going on. You drop the blade, it's going left or it's going right. So whatever's on the left and right, there's going to be a windrow of snow there, right? We can't do anything about it. So, you know, it, it, whatever's there, whether it's a garbage can, uh, your driveway, a pot, a, a plant, or whatever it is, it's going to get hit by a tidal wave of snow just because that's the nature of it. We, we can't control that. The only thing we control is we're going to push the snow left. We're going to push it right, just like a wave, all right? So I know those big waves come up of snow, and there's nothing I can do about it. So, you know, I get, you know, some people, a handful of people every now, every spring or (laughs) every winter, they come out and they get really mad. And then I say, look, I not only blocked your driveway, but every one of your neighbors in this neighborhood, I blocked everybody's driveway. So what do you want me to do with the snow? And And then they think about it, and they're like, oh, yes. You're right. I'm sorry. You got, it's it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> I can leave it right here in the street and just leave the neighborhood, and you can try to get on through if you want. But, or you can, you know, that. So when those people are there, I'll I'll push off that little front edge for them because it takes me two seconds to do. But you know, I, I got to pay for all this stuff too. You know, so I got to get my jobs and get it done. So uh, they, it, they thought they thought you scoop it up and take it to a black hole. I guess, I guess, brother. You know what I mean? If I had a big old heater on that front of the truck, you know, I'd be making ice. So <laughs> uh, it is what it is. But that's it. So, you know, welcome to welcome to winter, you guys. It's, it's a dangerous winter here in Michigan. So I appreciate it. And um, I wish it would stay. It looks like we have a warm-up coming up next week. Um, I like ice fishing. I love being in the shanty. I love catching that cold ice or, or the cold snow. So I'm ready. Um, if it's winter, let's keep it winter, all right? But as we know, these these climate changes that are out there messing with everything, um, hey, that, that there's something to compete with there. And, uh, you know, if they would just let the weather naturally do what it's going to do, we'd be better off. But, no, these climate changers change the climate and then try to tell us that we're the climate changers, you know? 
So don't fall for any of that media nonsense that they try to put out there and all that fake science nonsense they try to put out. They try to put out there, you guys. Um, Outcast, I've got some things that I need to read to you guys, everybody out there, because I want to give a big shout out. Now you heard me talk about those two um, brand new subscribers, supporters of the show from uh, this week. And um, let me see. The first one, I want to give a big shout out because she actually sent me something over uh, on my personal Facebook page. I don't use it for the show, so you guys don't even try looking for me over there because I, I don't. Um, okay, so Deb Santos. You guys heard me say that name, right? Outcast, listen what she said to me. Uh, was it last week, I believe? She says, hey, um, another fantastic show, Jesse. I can't even begin to tell you what your show means to me. I love growing with you and Outcast. You have some fabulous guests, too. I left a church a few years ago. Uh, I used to take a lot of Bible classes through a couple different churches. Never have I gone as deep into studying certain topics as I do with you guys. I believe you two have amazing callings on your lives, and I appreciate your obedience to your call. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Deb. For, for actually finding us and listening and, and joining and, and, you know, just now you're supporting the show on a monthly basis. And, and I really appreciate that. And we're just trying to, you know, hopefully this is what we're trying to do. Outcast. You hear that? Look, did you ever think that was going to happen in the last few years uh, since we started the show? Look, look what we're doing. We're touching people's lives. Yeah, that's, that's such great encouragement. Thank you for taking the time to, to type that message to us. Um, you know, and as we've said on the show many times, I mean, we're, we, we're just being obedient. I mean, we just felt called to do this, and then then we asked for God's involvement, and they just started steering it in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And uh, I, I I could tell by the way what you commented there that you feel exactly the same way as you're on this journey with us. So, um, I, it's you know it's great to have you here, sister, because you're one of us. We got to stick together. We are the remnant. I don't think there's a lot of us actually out there. I think a lot of people are asleep in their faith, and um, it takes a special breed to want to dig deeper and find out more and learn more and not be afraid to learn. Yeah. So I've got another one here. Yeah, thank you, Deb. So uh, Deb Santos, welcome to the family, the Dangerous Info family. You're part of it. Um, I got another one here, Just and this happened this morning. So K. Poe, uh, he says, glad to be dangerous. Call me K. Poe. I'm from northeastern Tennessee, about 30 miles from Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountains. Hope to meet you guys someday. Keep up the great work and info. Uh, you let us know. So welcome to the show, and I support or thank you for your support, K. Poe. Uh, thanks for being out there and thanks for listening and telling all your friends about us. So what do you think about that, Outcast? It's a beautiful part of the country. I want to meet Capo out there. I want to go check out. I haven't been to the Appalachians in a while. Yeah, I'd love to get down there and chase some, chase some big old Bigfoot around or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> all right. And another one we have uh, from uh, this is actually a guy that I know. He's been listening to the show quietly and he's been supporting us, Outcast. Henry Cologne. Henry, what's going on, brother? He says, hey, brother. Uh, just want to say you and Outcast are awesome. I love your show. God bless the both of you and your families. So uh, back at you, Henry. Thank you for watching the show and being out there. And I appreciate you telling all your friends and family about us and just being out there supporting the show. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to do things here. Uh, this is a movement um, and it's got a life of its own. We're just giving it fuel. That's all we're doing. And it's people like you uh, that we appreciate helping us do that. So what do you think of that, Outcast? I love it. It's great stuff. All right. You ready for, for mine? Yeah, you you have one from a, a, a guy that, well, Mick. And I started texting Mick the other day because uh, based on what you had told me about him. Uh, so go ahead and tell me what he says. 
You know, yeah, yeah just real quick, uh, mix, mix a brother in the Lord. He's just like our other listeners. He's he's on a journey with us for truth. Uh, he's he he's got knowledge I don't have. I ha- we have knowledge he doesn't have. We're all putting it together, and we're and we're building this community of of uh, of God God loving, God fearing believers who are not um, satisfied with the direction of this world that we're in. Yeah. And uh, and I don't know. He's just he's he's a brother in the Lord. He he. Um, I forget the details. If we have him on the show, we'll get the whole story. But at some point during COVID, he decided to stop uh, to, to quit cutting his hair or beard. So he's got the long hair and a long beard. And he makes me think of John the Baptist in more, more than one way. I mean, it's not just because of his hair. Uh, it's because he's so devout in his faith and he's so hungry for truth. I could see him in biblical times living in the woods and eating, you know, wearing a camel hair, you know, vest and uh, eating locusts. You know what I mean? He's just, <laughs> he's, he's a truth seeker to the nth degree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's uh, constantly giving us supportive uh, comments, but he, there was a longer diatribe here, but he just says at one point, um, you have no idea how much the podcast impacts my life and how I listen to it nonstop. I'm very thankful for both of you guys. And I cannot, I, I can at least, I want to at least give back somehow. That would be awesome. So he wants to come on the show at some point. Uh, he hasn't paid taxes, I think, in seven years or something. Um, he is uh, He's fearless in his battle. And um, I don't know. He's a cool cat. Uh, another interesting thing I want to share with you, too. I was in an office, and I, I've you know I've been in my business for 26 years now. Yeah. And there's this woman I've called on this whole time. And I think that I and – I, and I think that I'm correct in saying this. I think she verified this. She was um, – I don't mean to be mean here, but she was you know liberal to the point of being – you know, just completely mentally stunted liberal. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I didn't get into politics or anything with her. I've never tried to red pill her. And I run into her after not seeing her for about a year. And I made a comment, which I do, which is like, I call it fishing. I just throw out a comment and see how people react to it. Yeah. And I made a comment about being a crazy conspiracy theorist. And she says, I am too. <laughs> and I said, Oh really? And then, and then she, we went down, we went down a checklist. She was on target with everything that we're into. Okay. Yeah. Everything. But she told me, she said I was liberal, and it's not about being liberal or conservative, by the way, because we both know that both are, are capable of being <laughs> part of the problem. Yeah, uh, it's it's about being awake. And she said I was completely asleep, and I knew something in my heart was wrong, and I got on my face in prayer. Mm. And next thing, next thing you know, I started learning. She knew about the nephilim. She knew about everything, dude. She's she's up on it all. So I told her about the podcast and she's like, no way. So hopefully she's listening. If not tonight, she'll be listening soon. Um, uh, but anyways, I won't say her name or anything in case she's, she's sensitive, but she's at war with her family. Her sister won't talk to her now. Oh, and I know wow. her, 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 her daughter's LGBT and won't talk to her now. Uh, and, she, and we were talking about how Jesus said families will be divided in my name. Right. Mm. And she's living it and she doesn't care. She goes, I don't care if they disown me or not. I'm in love with Jesus Christ. He is showing me things that's going on in the world. I mean, just think about how we're how so many of us are on this journey together. Yeah. It's like we 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 find God, and then all these revelations come forth, and we're and we're just we're having our minds blown and our face shored up at the same time. This is a, a fantastic journey. Can you imagine being a normie and just sitting there watching? You know, I don't know what they're watching. Uh, you know, the View and stuff like that, and just being asleep. I mean, I feel bad for these people. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Yeah, but you know, it's. If we can't reach them, then it's we got to leave it to God in His hands. You know, um, we all have those people in our families, in our lives, and uh, you know, we, we try, we try, we try to tell them, and we, we, but you know, we can only do so much, right? At, at some point, we yeah. got if they don't want to hear us, we we just let it go to God, and He'll handle it. Um, I hear. All right, listen over here on the Rumble. Can 
can I use this name? Can I use this name? Yes, you can. That's that's the name. <laughs> that's her name. She says, thank you, guys. I so appreciate you both. My husband is listening with me tonight. So thank you to Can I Use This Name and Mr. Can I Use This Name on Rumble. Also to iPark2003, this podcast is bringing truth to my ears and it's great to hear the truth about what's going on. Lane? I think it's Lane. So thank you, iPark2003. Um, that's awesome. We, we, we've got a lot of, uh, oh, Gator Lady. And it's negative three right now, Min- Minneapolis. So they got us, they, they got us beat by a, a couple degrees. Uh, we'll catch up by, by morning, though, I'm telling you. Um, yeah. Um, let me see here. Uh, I'm just going over some some notes and some... Somebody's saying the view's been canceled. Ivan L saying the, but I don't know. I don't I watch that, that stuff. But uh, I heard that, but I wasn't sure if it was verified. So <laughs> I have I've been cautious. I haven't I haven't done my my uh, cartwheels over it yet. But I, I am happy to hear it, that. Yeah, you know it doesn't. Whatever. I mean, that's just uh, that's stuff that I don't watch. And um, you know, it's if if they want to cancel it, fine with me. If they don't, whatever. I, this doesn't bother me either way. So I, I'm good to go because I watch shows like this, and usually I don't watch much uh, of that nonsense anyway. Um, there's so much going on in the world, you guys. There's so much going on, more than we can cover in in a month of shows, right? But I'm telling you what, tonight, tonight's a big show. You guys are gonna be mind blown with what our guest Nathan is talking about tonight. If you guys haven't heard anything from him, well, just you guys get ready. All right. Outcast, I, I want you to say a prayer right now because we're going to need it, um, especially over, over what's what we're about to hear tonight. It's, it's, it's going to be an awesome ride and I can't wait um, for him to come on here shortly. He's been watching us here in the green room and um, yeah. Uh, Ivan L says, Jesse, you need a five day week show to cover everything. You know what? I would, I, I want a five-week show. You know what? We still have to pay the bills. That's why I'm out there in the truck plowing snow. Uh, if, if I would love to do this five days a week. We need Tell your friends. Tell more of your friends. We need help to grow. So we're slowly adding on. We have two more that just started this week to uh, support us. And as we build, as we grow, I want to add another show. So I'm with you, Ivan L. Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, I'm just going to keep throwing a lot of these uh, that up on the screen so you guys can see. There's a, there's a big old party going on here in the Twitch. They're having a great time. Rumble's got a a, a nice crowd over there going. So, um, oh, can't De- okay. Listen, I just said, can I use this name? It's Deb Santos over on Rumble. Oh. Yes, <laughs> awesome. awesome. Yeah. All right. So thank you, Deb. Yep, you can change your name now. You can use your real name. So awesome. Welcome to the show. And thank you. Thank you so much. So, all right, Outcast, I want you to bless this show because we need a hedge of protection around this tonight, brother. Dear Heavenly Father, Yahweh, Yeshua, Alpha Omega, the great I am, Lord, we love you so much, Lord. We love you because you loved us first. And Lord, um, we thank you for every basic provision in our life. And in this uh, particular weather, we thank you for warm clothing and and shoes and heat and electricity. Um, Lord, there's people out there that have none of these things, and we pray that you'll be with them in their need. You'll meet them right where they're at. But Lord, we, we thank you for your, uh, your, your daily hedge of protection around us. We thank you for protecting us in our travels. Uh, we thank you for uh, helping us to be courteous and kind on the roads and not give into our rage. We thank you for your, for wisdom and discernment like we've never had before and revelations like, like we've never had before. Please keep it coming. Heap those revelations on us, Lord, and invigorate our faith. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we are your, Jesse and I are your humble servants. Um, 
Nathan is too, in fact. And um, Lord, we uh, we have learned to submit to you and uh, ask for ask for you to have your way in us every single day. We know that great and amazing things happen when you uh, have your way in us and show us what to do and what to say on a daily basis and present your opportunities to us and give us the words to say when we're in those unique situations to share our faith with people, uh, share our experiences and our testimonies with people. Um, but Lord, uh, we were asking for your blessing upon this podcast today. This is a, a very, very heavy topic, Lord. Um, I think that our guest is potentially in danger for his life, probably by trying to, by trying to blow the whistle and tell the truth. You said, Lord, that um, everything done in secret would be brought to light. And uh, Nathan is exactly that. He is the light. He's the light bearer in his story. Uh, he wants people to know and understand how the the dark side works and how they plot and scheme against us. And you've promised us that the wicked people of this world would not flourish and prosper without punishment. And we, we, we know it's coming. We know it's in your time because vengeance is yours. We're not looking to create the vengeance ourselves. Um, but we pray that, you'll, pray that you'll bless this episode. We pray that your hedge of protection will be around all three of us and everyone listening, in fact. We, we pray that not only will, will no weapon formed against us prosper, Lord, we, we pray that if any weapon is fashioned against us, it will backfire on the person launching it. That is our request, Lord. We pray that, that the enemy will lose sleep and toss and turn and lose their minds as people wake up and understand what is going on in the world. We pray that your children will sleep like babies and become stronger and, more, and, and, and will have perseverance and strength like they've never had before, Lord. And give us your um, your fortitude. Give us your courage. Give us your um, your knowledge, Lord. Uh, help us to be what you need us to be. Not not on our own strength, but on your strength, strength, Lord. May you increase as we decrease in this the, this request, Lord. But we ask for your involvement in every aspect of our life. As prayers are answered in every regard for every listener, Lord, we pray that you will be glorified. People who are struggling with disease and or cancer or illness, we pray that they'll be healed and that you will be glorified in the process, whether it be a quick healing or a progressive healing. Lord, regardless, you be glorified. If anybody's dealing with depression, anxiety, fear, um, you know, anxiety, any of these things that, that just, just draw them into this dark abyss of, of inactivity and, and they just want to just curl up in a ball, Lord, we pray that you will lift them out of the slimy pit of despair and put them on solid ground with you and that you once again will be glorified. If anybody out there is dealing with, um, you know, a broken marriage and, and pain and, and children being torn between two households or whatever it is, we pray that you will find, you'll help people find peace and you'll mend broken fences and you will uh, bring people together if possible. And if not, that you will show uh, your mercy and your grace in the situation. And once again, that you will be glorified in this request. Lord, we, we ask for your involvement uh, with people who are, um, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here, people who are caregivers and they feel hopeless in that, that role. Uh, they feel left alone because they're the only one in their family that will care and take care of somebody. We pray that you will present them with strength. You'll give them uh, wings like eagles and feet like a deer, and that uh, you will be glorified in that request. If anybody's having, I'm thinking of a couple of people right now, stroke recoveries, uh, Lord, we pray that you will heal them and restore them and that you will uh, give them strength again. And that once again, as they are healed, that you will be glorified. Lord, we have so many requests. We could go on all night, but um, if this spoke to anybody out there, Lord, I pray that um, they will get on their knees, get on their face and submit their heart to you and uh, submit their lives to you so that you can shine brightly through them into other people. Lord, let us be the change in the world, uh, a Christ-like change that you want us to be. 
Not in our way, but in your way. Not in our time, but in your time. Bless this episode. Put a hedge of protection around us again. I'm going to say it again one more time, Lord. Um, Be with us. Give us the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of truth, and the feet of readiness as we enter into this powerful podcast tonight, Lord. Bless us all. Anoint our words. Anoint our minds. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen, brother. The belt of truth. I like it. Awesome. Well, listen, you guys, we're going to take a quick break right now on the other side of this um, we're going to come back with Nathan Reynolds, you guys. It's a big show. Um, if you guys have the like button, especially over on Rumble, please push that like, all right? And uh, it helps It helps the, the algorithms. You know, guys, you, you know what I'm saying, you guys, right? The algorithm gets us elevated in there, so more, more eyes get on us. So uh, I appreciate you guys all being out there. All the live viewers, I'll be monitoring what you're talking about. Um, there's a lot of amens, brother, uh, to outcast from that prayer, and I uh, appreciate it. And uh, look, on the other side of this podcast, or on the other side of this commercial, we'll get back with some deep stuff with uh, uh, Nathan Reynolds, you guys. We'll be right back after this. She's putting a new floor down by herself. Wise woman. She's using Kentile Vinyl Asbestos Tile. Easiest flooring to install, easiest flooring to care for. Save every way with Kentile Vinyl Asbestos Tile. Car payment on time. Ford in the process of a patent application for self-driving cars to drive away from their owners. After a series of missed payments, Ford's proposal will force the car to drive itself to a (laughs) repossession agency. Having the car drive away would be a last resort. The patent application shows Ford would first pressure delinquent owners by disabling some of the car's features like the air conditioning or having the audio system play unpleasant sounds. Wow. (laughs) All right. Do you want to be a sponsor of the Danger Simple podcast? It's quick and easy to do, fellow patriots. Simply go to subscribestar.com, buzzsprout.com, or any other support choices listed in the description of this episode and join us today. We aren't beholden to mainstream media narratives because we aren't mainstream media. If that's important to you, then we need your support to continue to grow and spread the message of free speech and the truth. We are just one small show out here competing with these globalist-funded, script-reading shit shows. We aren't down with dystopian nonsense. We're down with freedom-loving, liberty-seeking, Patriots like yourselves. We are the Dangerous Info Podcast. Please join us today. Stay dangerous, my Patriot friends. Stay dangerous. All right, you guys, tonight we have a guest that I've been wanting to talk to. I've been so eager to talk with him for such a long time. One man's journey to uncover the family secrets buried in his bloodstained past. You will hear his horrific yet inspiring story of surviving ritualistic abuse by an ancient and existing evil to his current life of independent self-reliance and abundance. Nathan Reynolds is an author, international speaker, 
farmer, and consultant on everything from trauma to tomatoes. His early career in the United States Army left him plagued with a ferocious drive to execute justice no matter what the cost. Upon leaving the Army, he spent the next 10 years in the minefield of psychology trying to mend the shattered souls around him. Along the way to his current life, he's been a wilderness mentor, an executive protection agent, transport specialist, chef for the homeless, and a market seller of beets and beans alike. That's, that, that's what I'm talking about right there. His wife, Chelsea, along with their two daughters, now travel the country in an RV cultivating the furrowed fields of organic farms, backyard bistros, and fossil-laden springs of the new life. The new Reynolds family is on a quest to see the captives of crime, cowardice, and comfort set free. Welcome, brother Nathan Reynolds, you guys. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Absolutely fired up. How are you guys oh, doing? Oh, man. Brother, well, I know you've been sitting there for uh, watching us during this uh, the last 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, we talk pre-show without cast and... Uh, you know, we're just excited. Uh, you know, I, give me a little feedback of what's, what's going on right now in your head and what you've seen. And, uh, you know, welcome to the party. Welcome to the show. This is God's show tonight. I couldn't be more excited. You know, honestly, what got me most fired up, too, was that prayer, Outcast. That was just absolutely <laughs> ferocious. You know, this is this is warfare. Every single time you pray, you're engaging. You are absolutely going into direct combat. So I am just, I'm thankful that there are warriors out there interceding for those that are wounded and weary and you know, that's what we're called to do is to strengthen the weary with a word. So thank you for doing that. Yes. I'm humbled. I'm humbled by that coming from you. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, I, I, yeah, in the beginning there, Nathan, I told you that he's the pro most prolific prayer uh, warrior in the podcast game tonight. And and there it is right there. You saw it firsthand. So you guys snatch from the flames.com. That's Nathan Reynolds uh, website. If you guys want to go and check that out, snatch from the flames.com. He has a book that he put out there. He's got, he, he's busy is what I'm saying. He's been busy doing a lot of things, but Nathan, the, the, the thing that first drew me to you and your story and what's going on is big brother. It's deep. And I would like you to explain what that is. Uh, now, your last name, Reynolds. Um, where do you want to start? I mean, I, I want to start, you know, right in the very beginning and then take the show wherever you want to go, because your, your story is incredible, brother. Uh, from from that abuse, uh, you know, as, as a young, young child uh, to where you are now, it's that arc there. That arc is, is crazy, brother. And um, I, I'm just glad you're here to, to share it with us. You bet, man. Well, I couldn't be more grateful to be here as well, you know, and for those of you that are, you know, learning and listening and, and starting to come to a place of understanding of really how the rulers of this world get to the place where they're in. And really the, the true the true currency of the kingdom of darkness is always compromise. Compromise is absolutely the, the most powerful tool that the enemy uses to enact his will as the God of this age, as the ruler of this age on this this earth. And so I grew up in a family that does have this, you know, belief and ideological pursuit that they are children of the dragon, that they are carriers of this bloodline of the serpent. And because of that, they have this divine right to rule over, I mean, to put it their way, you know, goyim, you know, it's mm -hmm. cattle people, these subhuman, these, these, this, this inferior race that's made to toil in the dirt where they are supposed to rise to this ascension, this path work towards Godhood. And so that the process by which a lot of that is accomplished is through a desecration of their identity, through the destruction of all those things that we would ever 
hold as normal. All those things that would ever bind somebody through familial relationships get shattered systemically early on. And so my family were practitioners in this great cult of the serpent. And they, the way that they carry that out is grandfathers will sexually abuse grandsons. And this is like the rites of passage in order for access to the trust fund, in order for access to the gates of power. And which is just to put it clear, it's not always money. That's the trust fund. A lot of times the true trust fund is a phone book, is connections through favors. Blackmail was the, and secrecy were the currencies of my Reynolds family was dealing in. So we're, they're a long line and lineage of engineers, people that are very, very smart. And they use those, those brilliances instead of for maybe normal gains, they use it to find ways to manipulate competitors, to control other people. And so blackmail is, is a very effective tool in which to do that. And so my family made a profiteering system off of that out on the East Coast. And then my dad set up kind of a, a new base of operations in Central and Southern Arizona. And so the the woman that he married was right in line with this entire family line. And, and they came from Southern California and Wisconsin before that. But really, this mingling between these two families was really one that was birthed with this idea of pursuit for profiteering off the sake of pedophilia. You know, this is the, a way of making money and a way of greasing palms and, and lubricating the disgusting forces uh, that keep society running, you know? And so down in Southern Arizona, there's this city called Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And that's where my grandfather set up his base of operation. He's a fourth order Knights at Columbus. And so this is a, uh, on, on my mother's side is much more Roman Catholic, much more uh, Knights at Columbus and Jesuit based. And so down there, that's where really this pedophilic or base of operations got set up. Because I think just for a second to step back into history, you know, where Robert P. McCulloch, who is the founder of this city, he he recruited a guy who is another kind of Freemasonic Luciferian who set up the architecture and design program for Disneyland. And so he came before that from Stanford Research Institute, which was kind of the pioneering place for a lot of the human experimentation programs that were carried over by Nazi scientists that were brought over here after Operation Paperclip. And really, this is where so much of a systemization of abuse, systemic abuse to children in order to create dissociative states, this quest for the Manchurian candidate, can it, you know, that was like the goal they wanted. They wanted to have undetectable mind controlled slaves. Mm. And so that was the place where a lot of the research was funneled into was Southern, Southern California. And it was from there, the first real major amusement parks where people were voluntarily bringing their families, their children down to a place where literally mind control experiments were being done on people in a whole scale on a large scale. And so the designer of that had this great successful project and he was brought over into Lake Havasu city to set up a pedophilic Island, a pleasure Island. And that's, you go ahead, Jesse, you've got your hand up. Right? I've got a question. Question. Um, yeah, man. We'll get right back to Lake Havasu because there's another question I have too. But am I right in thinking with their last name Reynolds? What comes to my mind is Reynolds wrapped the aluminum foil and R.J. Reynolds, the 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 big you know uh, cigarette the tobacco family that I'm talking about. Am I right in saying these things? Well, yes, but I, I'm not like a direct bloodline descendant of that Reynolds okay. bloodline. Okay. You know, my my family controlled, uh, they controlled through the Reynolds family through current blackmail, black gold, really. Like the the R.J. Reynolds, you know, Winston Camel cigarettes and that that tycoon side out in, in North Carolina. And then the aluminum side of it, which is also really big into metamaterials and armor and and also Nabisco Foods. They're the ones who purchased Nabisco Foods. It was the largest business merger back in the, in, uh, the late 1980s. And so this is a major food control suppliers. Yeah. But- my family does what would be like off the records money. 
You know, right. this is stuff that they don't want. Doesn't so that's where drug trafficking, human trafficking, st- sex operations, child exploitation schemes. That's the area that they profiteer off of. Okay, and um, Outcast has something too. Um, but what, what comes to mind when you say like Lake Havasu? Most of us think of Lake Havasu as a spring break destination from the nineties. Okay, so that's crazy. Thinking about Lake Havasu, I had friends that go went there and rent the houseboats and do all that stuff in Lake Havasu. But now we see from what you're talking about an evil dark side to what's going on in Lake Havasu. And I want to get back to that as soon as uh, Outcast asks you his question. Yes, uh, please indulge me. <laughs> now, the, I, from my understanding, the, the name Reynolds is is Irish in origin, but you said uh, the term Goyim, which is a Ashkenazi term for cattle. Um, mm-hmm. So is there a, an amalgamation between the Ashkenazis and the, the Reynolds of Ireland? Is that possible? Like, I just thrown just thinking out loud here, spitballing. Can you shed, shed a it, light on that? It was just more of a way of of demeaning another populace. So it wasn't necessarily like okay. their their way of binding with the Ashkenazis or anything else like that. Particular people, just subspecies of man, you know, okay. was a way of doing. It. That's literally the word human means is subspecies of man. It's it's a derogatory term, you know, from uh, elevated people. But it's it's more so that the divine right of kings is what they would try to invoke over over people. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So back to Lake Havasu. So, wow, that, that's, that's, that's something different than, you know, the whole spring break uh, idea that I had on it. You bet. Well, Lake, Lake Havasu's origins were really in the United States military, you know, and it was, it was designed as a, it was called site six before in the 1940s. It was like a stopover place for recreation and, and indulgences for pilots and people, airmen and, and, uh, army officers to pl- just kind of resting recuperate. It's in the middle of the desert. And so it was kind of always had this binge of like this escape place where people could go and kind of party and let loose and everything else. But then when Robert P. McCulloch bought it, he had a very different envisionment for it and he wanted to create a retirement community. And so he spent years free flying in clients from Phoenix, Arizona and different places around Arizona to be able to come in and start purchasing up land plots. And then C.V. Wood and him partnered to be able to purchase the London Bridge and to build a an artificial island with which to extend the bridge and with which they they gave sovereign legal territory to the city of london which is leased out every year for in perpetuity for the price of a cochina doll which is one of these idols that the hopi indians use to invoke over when they give their daughters to these celestial beings the gods that come down and mingle with their daughters between this winter solstice and the summer solstice in the San Francisco peaks outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. And so that's literally like the, the, the invocation of the deity that's represented in that Island. This is where they brought in for those of you that are not familiar with the city of London, this is the financial empire of the world. They are the ones who are the heraldic keepers of the great red dragon. If you're familiar at all, this should be screaming revelation 12 out at you. You know, this is the devil, the dragon, that, that serpent of old, this is the one and the only, and he is financial empire brought over and started a legal sovereign territory, just like the Vatican and the, and district of Columbia were, were kind of these sovereign city States. Well, there's one just sitting there in the middle of Arizona on the border of California. And that gave them kind of this legal playground where they could indulge a lot of these pedophilic pleasures there under the London bridge, which was hollowed out and had places for inurement. There was a practice of inurement over in the city of London and has been for centuries in time immemorial. This is why this song that people hear, you know, the London bridge is falling down, Mm -hmm. falling down. That literally was about 
practicing endearment where you were taking your child and placing them in the walls of a building or of a structure and letting them die inside there as a human sacrifice for the state. That even when they brought over and unearthed the London Bridge, there was 85 bodies that were found inside the walls of it, five of which were children. And this was the same thing that was then practiced here in the States. So this is what I grew up experiencing as normal. Is this is what family is. This is what Thanksgiving is. This is what you should expect to have when you go down for summer vacation was to go through this ritualistic abuse, this sadomasochistic perverts, you know, that like to abuse children. And so the town is literally structured so that grandpas can be with grandsons and it's kind of normalized. And so there's a lot of this taking place and it really Lake Havasu became the central hub between Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Tucson in this trafficking network to be able to bring over all of the products that come along with pedophilia. And especially with back in the time, you know, people that were capturing and documenting the evidence through VHS tapes and home recording equipment. And it was a really disgusting little place to grow up in. But so I went through a lot of systemic abuse and this wasn't just for, you know, grins and giggles. It was to create mind-controlled slaves. It was to create dissociative states and programmed altered personalities so that I could be cult loyal and committed to making sure that my family, the cult as a, as a large, was always protected. And this was really the degradation that the Jesuit ideologies, the spiritual practices, the Jesuit, where they're destroying the identity of the individual to build them up into this collective. And that's where so many of these practices have been really got a lot of their their meatiness, their fruition has come through, was this old religion. These people that have been practicing this Babylonian Gnosticism for a long time, and they're just recreating it there in Lake Havasu. Wow, that that's deep. You know, Hamhock's talking about the Great Wall of China, same thing. Could that have the same symbolism and same uh, effect of what's going on there, uh, you know, according to like London Bridge type of thing? Um, there's so many structures around the world that c- could possibly you know, fall in that same category. Oh yeah, man. It's been something that people have utilized for a long time. It's a process that Kings get their subjects to. I mean, if if you've gotten to a place where you're willing to sacrifice your child mm-hmm. for the government, for the state, for the emperor, you have total will control. You have mind controlled slaves. You know, there's just no uncertain terms about it. We still live in a society that does this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's culturally prerequisite for most people sacrifice their children on the gods of their career. You know, they literally ship them out and, and dis- divorce them early on in life and others. I mean, they sacrifice their children while they're still in the womb in order to have their, their future you right. know, protected from them, whether it's the morning after pill or other forms of it. So it's something that's still practiced for a long time, but that's what Jericho, the walls of Jericho were supercharged in the same very thing that this is, this is why those things had to come down, why they, they were absolutely so defiled. He's like, don't even touch any of these things inside there. They're cursed beyond your worst nightmares. And it's, it's a similar practice of, of what takes place when people are willing to start to do this. It binds them spiritually to these powers and these, these Gregorius, the city of London still every year holds a mayor. It's called the Lord's mayor parade where they bring out Gog and Meg as the giants, the the titans that are the overseers of the city of London. And they literally, the the Lord Mayor of London bows himself, submits himself to those mighty ones and that those are the rulers. And so this is where that spiritual power goes back through the priest class to the mighty ones, the immortals that are operating behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Outcast, you had a question there. I saw your hand go up. You know, I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but I was wondering if you could give our listeners a layman's term explanation of who the Jesuits are and how they, they tie into the story. Is that is that okay, Jesse, if I ask that? Yep. Okay. You bet, man. 
Yes. Yeah, so basically, the just to put it super transparently, Ignatius Loyola is is the founder of the Jesuits, and he was somebody who was basically had went through this horrific injury, and uh, was a soldier up until that point. Went through got a major injury on a battlefield, and then he went into this this state of spiritual growth. Okay, and he developed by reclusion. Okay, separating himself from society, these spiritual practices and self degradation, destruction of of the self, physical torture, mutilation fasting, um, extreme forms of psychological manipulation and abuse to himself and came out of that with this new purpose, this new identity and this ideological pursuit of how to create a secret society, the way of creating rings within rings so that no one is able to truly know the whole plan except for the most innermost sanctum of the membership. And so what ended up happening is the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church were looking for a militant arm and an intelligence organization to pursue a counter-reformation because this is all contemporaneous with Martin Luther and Protestantism and people that were starting to turn the, the scriptures out of the Latin tongue, start translating it and, and starting to pursue ways of getting the scriptures, getting the word to the people, giving people access to the word so that they could read it. And without having this, the, the mediator of the, the Catholic priests. And so this was to them the greatest danger. I mean, this is the greatest threat to their entire empire. And so they wanted somebody that would go in and start to extract all every form of saboteurs. I mean, this is the best way to put it. They are they are trained informants. They're people that are slipping in covertly behind enemy lines, and they are to destroy the enemy from within. And so that's what the, the purpose of the Jesuits was kind of the archetype for it. And they were so effective at doing this. Everywhere they went, whether country by country that they would go into, it was an absolute nightmare for rulers. And so at different times throughout history, entire countries have kicked them out. They've banded them from being a part of it. The, the Catholic Church even kicked them out, like ended their charter basically for a while because they were so devious they were so willing to do whatever it was absolute complete loyalty and fidelity was to the pope they'd go through this extreme oath where they're literally swearing that they're, they're willing to cut the heart out of people cut the tongues out of people rip open the stomachs of their pregnant women for anybody that's a heretic to the pope that's that's their loyalty their fidelity to this god man in the form of the pope and so their their form of doing that is subterfuge is, is hiding who they are their identity their purpose their real agendas within layers of secrecy and then mixing ideologies and slowly turning the ship of whatever if they're specifically targeting a Protestant church they're slowly going to infiltrate that and try to steer it back towards the mothership and towards the papacy. That's where they wanted it to go back to. And so that's really the arenas that they infiltrated a lot was in academia, was in any of the kind of the, the scientific pursuits, astrology and astronomy. These became major key tenets of where they were trying to steer history and get people kind of new ideologies. They were major doctrinal infiltrators. And so a lot, they also were conquerors, militant conquerors. So they brought themselves over to the Americas, Central and South America. These were kind of the, the pioneers that took over and conquered nations and kingdoms and brought them under the hand of the Pope. So they're still incredibly important. Like people like Adam Weissop and the founder of the Illuminati, they are all trained and had this exact replication from the Jesuits. This is where so many of the tendrils of the black nobility and the people like the Orsinis, who people look at, you know, the Rothschilds and the Red Shields and stuff. These people all come from the black nobility of the Italian nobility line. So the, the Medicis and the Merovingians, this is really some of the true rulers and dynastic rulers of the world come from. <clears throat> yeah. Kelowna. <clears throat> Kelowna. Kelowna family. Yes. Collins also. I mean, there, there, there's a whole lot of them, you know, Orsini and all that, the great Pope and all these things. But, um, you know, earlier you said something about grandpas, and I heard a story 
that that you told Nathan, um, and how these ritualistic things are passed on, um, between you and your grandfather. What was that? And you talked about you know the 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 mental the dissociation type of stuff. Um, can you can you go into that a little bit? I want to hear about you 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 and your father. What happened there in that whole scene with the? Uh, well, go ahead and you can uh, explain you it bet. to people. You- Give me one second here. Yeah. Um, one second. Yep. That's yeah. fine. So outcast, what we're talking, you know, so far up to this point, I I'm just, it, it's, I'm, my mind is blown. I think everybody else's mind is blown too. And, um, just, <laughs> wow. I I'm looking at all these comments and people are really like, you know, wow. They're, they're, they're on the edge of their seat. They're, they're making more coffee. They're, they're, they're getting ready, you know? So, uh, let's get back over to, uh, to our guest tonight, Nathan. So, He's back right here. Snatchfromtheflames.com, you guys. Go check that out. All right, Nathan. Uh, you're on mute right now. Hold on, brother. You're, you're on mute. <clears throat> no, you're still muted. It's not me. <laughs> it's on your end. Yep. I'm still looking at the monitor. You're, it's still on your end. She says that, they, wait, the, the chat can hear him? Well, I can't hear any of you guys. So, all right, keep going. Keep going. All right, I'll keep going then. You'll jump back in, Jesse. We'll wait for you. You know, I just, so much of, I think, what the the passing down between grandfathers to grandsons is about this kind of buffer between the dad and his son's relationship. So in so many ways, like my father was my hero, you know, the one who was still provided for me safety and security and and protection. And yet at the other side of it, there was this absolute desecration that was <clears> taking place <throat> through the grandfather. And I think it was a form of, of just ruining my, my hopes and understanding of what identity was and what fatherhood was. And it, it really stripped me of my, of a deep ability to ever resonate with this. And so really, I think so much of what abuse that is done, especially male on male abuse is the destruction of, of the soul and a shaming aspect to bind, to bind somebody through shame that they cannot come out and speak about this, that there's no safe place to, to talk about it, you know, and to find peace or that there could ever be a, a sense of hope or restoration that could ever come to them. Is- so do they, so, so then within a family line, does it, is it a situation where they, it becomes so normalized that after a while, everybody in the family just feels, it doesn't feel like anything strange. It's just, it's, it's part of the family practice, right? Nobody's alarmed or feels like they should escape or it, it's not like that. Well, I would first of all, I would say the very beginning years is so overwhelmingly evil when it comes to the amount of abuse that takes place. And, it, and it's, it's a totality of abuse where every area of your life is. I'm is not controlled. sure if you guys can hear me, but we can't go We can totally hear you, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, there was I'm like text them. There is, there's this absolute omnipresence. Like they're trying to invoke this idea that there's no way you can ever get out of this cult, that there's, there's learned helplessness, that there's no matter how much you fight back or fight to get out of it, to get away from it, you're never going to escape from it. And so even so much of it is there, they put people into your life that become confidants and people that you can trust and befriend to see if you're ever going to talk about this stuff. And then they report it back to somebody else. And it's, so it's like, they always have eyes that are watching and ears that are listening. And it creates this, this feeling that there is nothing else outside of the family. 
that everyone is part of the family. And then they create the illusion of that very successfully. And it's not, it's not as hard to do when someone's a really little child. It's not hard to manipulate them to kind of create this sense because you control their whole world. You control their whole life and what they see and what they experience. And so early on, you go through such a systemic breaking down of your ability to fight back or to get away that you get, you're never kind of let out of that until it's deeply cemented. And then you're, you're completely loyal to the system because you don't know there's anything else outside of it. So yes, the, the form of your normal, like it took me literally until I was, I was married and sitting down and having conversations with my wife about what her childhood was like and hearing then me sharing what mine was like to realize the disparity between what was normal on her side and what was my experiences. It took that much time before I really got desensitized to how perverse, how perverse what I'd gone through really was. And it's, it took months and months of, of coming out of that because I, it had been so desensitized to me. So, so being in contact with your wife, uh, in comparing notes, did it jar memories loose that you thought that you had buried? Were they like subconscious memories that came out or was it, you just knew the, the stories don't, they don't line up. I mean, from a normal life to what you experienced. I, in some ways, I would say some of it was, was subconscious memory. Some of them were like normal memories too, on one side of it too, just how jacked up it was about my experiences of what family reunions were like, you know, and what those experiences were taking place. But some of it was really like, I went through a major time of starting to find out answers to what had happened to me and starting to unravel this. Whereas before I didn't, when I was growing up, I didn't have access to sift through the internet to try to uncover what are these mechanisms that are being used and weaponized against me. But once I finally kind of had the opportunity to hear that, man, it was like all this was on. And so much of that too came through prayer and intercession, you know, literally starting to learn how to pray and repent for these sins that had happened to me. And it's these generational curses and iniquities that have been on my bloodline. And that's really what I felt like was the major defining moment. Like I talk about it in my book, chapter five, which is called Deliverance in Dallas, when this man named Tom Dunn prayed for me and interceded for me. I was a total stranger to this guy, but he was doing a, a film at the time, a documentary film on uh, working with Russ Dizdar, uh, a guy who had a, a had a ministry for many years, trying to minister to people that came out of bloodlines and families like my own. And he was, uh, he just, dude, he just prayed for me to have healing and deliverance. And that was a time in my life where my wife was pregnant and I was facing this decision of whether or not I take my child and sign away parental lives and give them over to the cold so that I can have access to the trust fund. I can have my riches now, get my kingdom wealth. You know what I'm saying? And I had that choice to make. And that's really when I felt like he had ripped up that amnesic root that had been holding this internal structure in place for decades of my life. And it was like, that's when these flooding of the memories began to just become like an incessant wave. And contemporaneous to this was also praying off there was a ministry that was called, I think, Isaiah54.org. They since got their site taken down recently, um, but I have a backup for it on my website. And it had this praying of generational curses of Freemasonry. And it just systemically went through each of the degrees of Freemasonic oaths and renouncing it, repenting for it, saying, I no longer basically agree with whatever was spoken because there's these legal contracts. So much of how the occult operates, so much about how the kingdom of darkness operates, it's a legal contractual based system. And there's a hierarchy. There's like an actual legal hierarchy in the spiritual realm that, that genuinely affects the 
the physical realm on an every day and night basis. This is this Israel. That's why, like when Outcast was praying earlier, it's an actual warfare that he's engaging with. You know, like it's a real thing that takes place. Heaven responds to this. Second heaven powers also are required to respond to this. And all those those principalities and powers and rulers that we contend with, they're required to submit to the Most High, the Judge of all the earth. And so, like when when you start to repent for these curses that are being invoked like when when you when men are standing there and binding themselves through mutual imprecation they're following this hierarchy these this, the, it's called the dragon corks these rex deuce bloodlines these people that bound themselves to these nephilim king classes who would swear oaths like their fathers had like gadriel and azazel and these watcher angels these immortals that that left their heavenly estate to go pursue starfire which was the consumption of blood they literally took off their heavenly estate like it says in second peter and jude and they took on a corporal form so they could have sexual relations with women and they opened up to them the secrets of heaven there was an exchange of information they got access to procreation and the women got access to the secrets of heaven that's astrology that's the cutting of roots it's communing with the dead it's necromancy it was dialing the celestial phone book to these other deities that was the exchange of technology that gave them this power well they also were became obsessed and completely consumed with this need and this hunger for blood is something that's called starfire and this is why so many of these cults get caught up in this because they start to take on literally like a skin suit, the, the, the mind of these immortals, and it makes them hunger and thirst for blood. They need the life of men to survive. They, they, they're cut off from the power of Yahuwah, like they're cut off from the creator's power, and they need to recharge their power banks. And they do that through the consumption of life. It literally says in Genesis 3, the serpent was cursed to eat the dust of the earth. Man is the dust of the earth. He literally, that's his food source. And so that is why these serpents and these dragon cults, they're obsessed with it. They are insatiable hunger, and they can never be satisfied. And, and part of that really is the, the most pungent form of that starfire is menstrual blood and so this is why so much of these lunar cycles and these there's this joining between the lunar cycle and and uh, a lot of the ritualistic magic that's done and this cult takes on various different forms of it but my my family's really was perseverated on the male side of this so i don't have as much experience on the female side but that's why there's this just deep corruption of the soul the desecration of the soul and why these people like people are talking about like why do they consume these products why are people using blood as all of these byproducts in our food and our pharmaceuticals like it's because they have these same spirits that are possessing their minds ruling their minds governing this and when people partake in these swearing of oaths like they did at mount hermon they get bound up in these contracts and they steal the generational inheritance to their children to the third and fourth generation there's the cost of sins and transgressions and iniquities can affect three and four generations out and they steal their generational blessings and they place curses in its place and so that's why people who, who are like why are their lives just always a train wreck perpetual struggles it's because so often there is a generational right a legal right for these spirits to consume and destroy the lives of these other generations and especially as you get to that you know, if it's the third generation out from a father or grandfather, great grandfather that was a participant in Freemasonry or a daughter of the Eastern Star, there's this spiritual oppression that starts to build until they can get another son or daughter to re-up those oaths. And so this is why when you renounce those prayers, when you pray against those things, you cut off those cords of that. This is why you can create an opportunity for freedom from that oppression, from freedom, from bodily ailments, from physical problems in your life. And that's what began to really take place in my life that really set me on a course of restoration in a powerful way. 
Wow. There's so I mean, every time you speak, there's a mountain to unpack. So all I can really offer is just anecdotal thoughts to, 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 that I can relate to. And I hope that has value for our listeners and maybe is interesting for you as well. Right now, I'm reminded of a story. Uh, I got to be cautious here, but I have an acquaintance and she has pretty much told me that there, that her grandmother is uh, an Ashkenazi witch who has cursed her, put curses on her, told her that she'd be married twice and then descend into madness and so far, it seems to be kind of coming true. And and um, I think that I'm not saying that I don't want to be uh, loosey-goosey here and just say, that, you know, oh, somebody's got a demon. But I do think that these disembodied souls of the Nephilim, for example, uh, they crave life, okay? And after her grandmother has put this curse on her, I've noticed that, like, she has struggled her whole life with mental illness, uh, mm-hmm. first of all, and obesity, and one time she confided in me that she would like get up in the middle of the night, unbeknownst she had no recollection of this, and she would eat the entire contents of the refrigerator, including mm-hmm. jars of mayonnaise. Okay. And I was like, what? I'm just, I, I could not wrap my head around it at the time. Now learning what I've known now, and, and I understand a lot of what you're saying, I can follow you. Um, these spirits have, are, are insatiable. They can't taste, they can't, they can't enjoy what we enjoy. So they become overtly lustful, overtly hungry, overtly everything because they are, they have been denied that because they're, they're, they're bodiless. So when they inhabit somebody, they go to the extreme in an effort to try to just get a glimpse of what they used to be able to taste and experience. And that's why I think that she would, the, this, this, this uh, oppression, at least at the very least, it's a demonic oppression in her life would prompt her to eat the entire contents of a refrigerator on a regular basis. I'm like, how, who can do that? Well, when you've got an, in, an impure spirit in your body that is this hungry, that's that's going to be. You, know, you see people that are just, uh, you know, pedophiles or or even just people who are perverted, and they just it never stops. They, they can't get enough to the point of self destruction. It's because these spirits have inhabited. Uh, am I speaking your language? Is this, am I making sense here? Does this have any relevance to what you were saying earlier? Absolutely. You know, and that's that insatiable appetite is truly what keeps this system perpetuating itself because once that compromise sets in at some point in the life you know you 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 open this doorway you create a like a portal an opening it's so much of like my family's familial spirit like they they were bound to you know was death like the actual death i'm not talking about like the concept of what happens when somebody dies like death is an entity like an actual being that has like physical corporate body and engages in actions and has, is a shot caller commander of an army, you know, and my family was bound up to this. They were, they would invoke this circle with an X in it. This was like the heraldic symbol of our family line, this mark of the beast that they would bring over these, these sons of the serpent. And they like why they set up a base of operation in death Valley in in this, this deserts of death was to try to bring about the summoning of death and the summoning of these dragons during these ritualistics events. And they would be bringing out torch through the torture of children, calling out these spirits to come and commune with them and give them divination, which is like foretelling, you know, like the dragon, when he's contending with, with Yeshua in the 40 days of trials and testing, you know, it says, I can show you all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time. And he's like, I'll give you the authority over them. You know, if you bow down and submit to me, if you worship me, that, that 
foretelling is what the dragons have been known for their ability to kind of show the future or give a glimpse of the future that's why so many people get obsessed with this need to commune with them and that that spirit then you get bound to it and that's really what takes place like i i got caught up in being bound up to death you know i went through my first experience with killing another person and violence became like the addiction like it became the only outlet for me that I could experience freedom. That to me was my, my, my source of, of release, you know, all my life was constant pressure. And then the only time I ever got like an iota of, of release was through violence. And that's where I got caught up in for so many years of my life. Do you, do you think that was an impure sp- or, or a demonic oppression or possession that was craving that blood violence? Oh man, absolute possession. I'm talking like total possession. You know, yeah. this isn't so, just like another basic demonic thing. This is like higher order entities. So I'm just kind of wrapping my head around some of this stuff. This is this is I'm on I'm on track with you, but I'm still learning. Um but I'm getting I'm gathering or I'm coming to understand that there is like uh the the unseen realms, the at least the negative side of the unseen realm thrives off of uh bloodletting when when blood is spilled in the soil they they partake in it is that is that accurate to say it's a feeling i have that like there's so, like if you look at the mayans you look at all these different cultures and they did all this uh blood sacrifice obviously the the demonic realms the unseen realms i'm going to call them uh they require this they need this is that is that accurate to say absolutely man this is the, the best way to say this is like it creates a door. Like when blood is spilled, especially innocent blood is spilled, the blood is always crying out. There's a perpetual cry that, that literally takes place from the earth from that day forward. And it will it will happen until the end of the earth where all the earth, literally it says the earth is going to vomit up all the blood, all the blood that's been spilled on it. It's going to fill oceans worth of it. And it's going to come up as a witness against the wickedness and the immorality against the nations. And it's literally men and women are going to drown in the blood of their iniquity. Like it's a, it's a real thing. All the blood of the innocence that's been spilled is going to cry out. Well, what also happens like with Amalek and these, as you read in the scriptures too, you're going to come across this times where like the sons of Gideon, all there's like 72 sons of Gideon. There's an example for it. Okay. Well, one of them rises up and is like, you know what? I'm going to rule all of them. So he takes all of his brothers and has them executed on a single stone. Okay. He has every one of them murdered on a stone. That, that is how you create a doorway, a spiritual doorway that stays open. That is a charged object, like a sacrificial stone. That's how you're charging a stone. So when you see the people, like even to this day, when you see princes sitting on a throne, sitting on a stone, when they get inured, when they get brought into their kingship, that's the type of stone that they're actually sitting on. It's one that has experienced bloodshed because it holds a witness. Even in the book of Joshua, the very end of Joshua, he literally stands there, goes over the entirety of the Torah. Like he's like, you're going to hear everything that's happened. And then we're going to talk about everything that you're commanded to do as you go to live in your lands of your inheritance. And I stand this stone up as a witness that it has heard the words of this contract and it will bear witness against you whether you keep it or not. And so the earth has this way of holding information. Stones have this way of holding this information and then being a witness this is why Yeshua is like, listen, you guys are going to shut up. Um, these stones themselves will cry out against you. And that's literally what this blood does is it cries out. And so there's people that are weaponizing that, that are, that are trained to weaponize that bloodshed, you know, and we generally are disinherited from how to 
intercede for that, how to repent for spilled blood of the innocents, how to apply the blood of the Messiah to cover these sins and to cover those transgressions. Because without bloodshed, there cannot be any forgiveness of sins. And so where their blood has been shed, you know, the blood of the Messiah, it can cover these sins because love covers a multitude of sins. And this is the cure for the apathy, the hatred, the violence, and the indifference. Jesse, are you back? Nope. Okay. Uh, so, so somebody made a comment down here about the, the Scottish Stone of Destiny. Um, and there's an official narrative that it's believed that it was uh, uh, was it where Jacob dr- had his dream. Uh, um, who knows if it's true? Oh, Jesse, are you back? No, I'm not back. I, I So what? this is what's going on here. I'm, I'm monitoring you guys. I, I have zero sound from you guys. I'm watching your, your, your voices and I'm, or I'm watching your cameras. And I'm watching the all the chats, so let's keep it this way. Still, I, I can't hear you, and and if I go to try to fix something, it's probably going to kill the whole screen, uh, the whole stream. So I'm going to rely on you two um, to, to keep it going because I know it's going good. I can tell. Um, I also am I'm playing the Rumble replay on my phone, so I'm behind you guys probably <laughs> 10 seconds, but I'm keeping an eye on all these chats. So I'm trying to get going, but... Uh, just keep going because it it sounds like you guys are on point. And uh, if you want me to come back in for any point, just put your hand up or point at me or something. But um, go ahead and take it. I think Outcast had the last one. So I'm going to sit back and I'm going to monitor everything. And you guys are doing good. <laughs> Dangerous Info <laughs> family. Thanks for uh, hanging in there. Um, I think the, 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 the information that Nathan and, and Outcast are going over right now is great. And I'm just going to be part of the audience. So I'm going to throw my chats right. in there. So keep on okay. going, fellas. Uh, hey, hey, Nathan, am I am I getting you off track, or you, do you enjoy some of my no, interjection? Oh, right. this is great. This is great. all right. Cool. So, so I've had this. I, I'm a I'm a Scottish history buff. I have been for years, but my spiritual discernment as my as my faith has grown immensely over the last couple of years is something's telling me that that, and I haven't heard a deep dive on this yet. But I, obviously, there are standing stones all over Scotland. There's mm-hmm. it's obviously obviously part of the the ley lines and the power grid that the pagans were using. And there is, it's so much ghosts and mythology and fairies and, and healing wells. And there's so many bizarre things in Scotland. And and then you just said the circle with the X, the, the, the St. Andrew's cross is an X and they sit on the stone of, is, have you ever read or heard anything? Is there any like um, clues that these are all fanciful, polished stories to hide a deeper thing that's going on with, with, with Scotland overall, because why is England so obsessed with taking it over? Why? I mean, there's, there's so much, so much mystery steeped in Scotland. Have you, have you come across anything about that? Dude, I, I'll tell you what, man, there is a guy, a much better author of that who covers that so tremendously well in, uh, this is, this is Gary Wayne's book. Oh yeah. We love him. Conspiracy. Yeah. Bro, we know him. He's going to be on the show. He, he goes, he goes into fairies. He goes into all the lore from Scotland. He goes into all of that. And it, he is like a scholar probably, of scholars in his own way. It, I've probably way heard him say that. That's that question. Yeah, that, that's that's probably where I got the clue on that because I, I now you mentioned I have heard him talk about the fairies and all that and all that stuff and how it ties into the greater. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gary's going to be on, uh, I think, pretty soon. If, if not this month, next month, I think he's going to be on our show. That's so awesome. we're really excited to have him. Yeah. So I'll let you get back to it. Um, If you have, uh, I was, was going to read- break your story arc. No, that's, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, and, and just 
these standing stones and, and how they're anointed. But I think a lot of these standing stones, in a lot of ways, you got to understand that they, they come from these practices of human sacrifice. That's what that's where they get imbued with a lot of this power. They can be anointed and often they're anointed with this. But even just for those that are kind of first maybe checking into this concept of understanding, like why the blood cries out and why it's this, this vector with which the spiritual realm is able to then come into the physical realm and enact the through its agents. In Second Kings chapter three, there's this war that takes place between the Israelites and uh, and, the, and the house of Judah, the two houses at this point, house of Judah, the house of Israel are joined together in forces to try to attack the king of Moab and his armies. And they're very successful in this campaign. It's prophesied by the prophets that Yahuwah is with them and they're going to have victory in this. And they have to literally destroy the land of Moab as they go through there, like throw a rock into every field, like just cut down every fruit tree. I mean, he's talking about like harem, like absolute total destruction because you'll you'll learn this is what the Moabites are into. They're practitioners of these Rex Deuce. They're one of these dragon bloodlines. And this is what they do at the end of it, okay? And they And when the sovereign of Moab saw that the battle was too strong for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the sovereign of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as an ascending offering upon the wall. And there was great wrath that broke out against Israel, and they left him and returned to the land. So here's the king taking his firstborn son and offering up as an offering, a sending offering, a burnt offering. This is literally like what the term Holocaust comes from, this idea of, of burning somebody alive on the wall. He puts him against the walls and he, it, he kills him there as a sacrifice. And that breaking out of the wrath is a spiritual forces of these demons, is an unleashing of wrath and rage and violence and murder that comes out and breaks loose, possesses his troops, and they're able to drive back all the forces of Israel and get free. They break off the army. They literally distress the Israelites and they have to leave. And so this is one of those instances where that blood spilling supernaturally charges up and empowers a force to be able to go out and do these deeds. This is really important because if you if you don't understand understand this. This is what builds the houses of kingdoms to this day. Like when the Reynolds family made these covenants with serpents, they they offer them power by giving them the future. They're going to show them the future. Then the prerequisite for the, the Titan that they're going to summon through that process is that they need to continually feed that Titan blood. They literally have a house of death. This is why aluminum is weaponized against people to kill people by the thousands and by the millions year after year after year. It's because there's a there's a requirement like the Reynolds bloodline that you were asking about earlier, like RJ Reynolds and these ones. Those brothers took one of these coins of Judas, betrayed the Messiah with 30 pieces of silver. They call it the Joshua coin because they hold on to the tradition that any son that carries the middle name Joshua can carry this coin. And when he touches this coin to gold, they can manifest a titan they can manifest an, uh, an entity but uh, what comes with that wealth is death is absolute horrors of death you might grow super wealthy but around you is going to be this vortex of death that's this spiritual games that these people enter into these covenants to play on and so that's what makes these families susceptible to interplay with each other because oh, at the end of the day they have mutually assured destruction against each other they know that in their side of the family they've desecrated themselves they're the bloodline carriers of one of these entities immortals on this earth and so they bind themselves to each other's bloodlines and families because they maintain that iniquity force they're trying to deepen it and strengthen it all the time and maintain that that power that plug to the darkness and be able to build themselves up in power at the same time it's a parasitic relationship where they're feeding back the life force of the innocents that are being funneled through that 
Wow. Now, uh, one of our listeners, I, I know the answer to this, but one of our regular listeners, Ivan, I was just asking, is any of this tied to the Nephilim? And the answer is yes. Um, do, Nathan, do you want to try to tackle that? I mean, do you want to, is it, you know, when you look at the seed war, how do you mm-hmm. link that to this, this Reynolds story, as well as the, the, um, uh, the Jesuits or, you know, take it any way you want. Yeah, man. I mean, this is just to understand pre-flood time, the antediluvian dynasties is when you had these immortals directly interacting and interfacing with mankind. They were injecting their seed line onto the earth. And this is where that that first kind of hierarchical class of beings, the Nephilim, the Titans of old came from. And these were worshipped as the, you know, the immortals. And so much of that dynastic rulership and that authority was brought out through the the timelines up until the days of Noah, where they were finally given these senses that, hey, you're going to be blotted out. They're going to go through these this destruction. And so they began this this consolidation of, of their information because they knew the, the watchers began to get bound up in chains of darkness. Literally, there was commands issued out against them for them to be imprisoned in chains of darkness inside the earth and held in chains of darkness like it talks about in the book of jude you know and first enoch is a much better account for dealing out how long they were going to serve these sentences inside the earth 70 generations is what it's described and so they were specifically bound up inside the earth but it was after they had to watch their children the nephilim kill each other off for 500 years they literally watched their children destroy each other fight each other to the death and absolutely blot out their own lives. Then they were put into prison. It's a similar punishment to the King of Judah when he is, is literally the last thing he sees with his eyes when Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys Judah is he watches his children get put to death in front of his eyes. And then he's literally blinded. You know, it's a, it's a common punishment for those that have major, major transgressions, you know, in those regards. But what happened is they consolidated their information and they, they left it on brick and they left it on stone, you know, and this was their way of trying to preserve in case Yahuwah judged the earth with fire. They, they thought the bricks would, and all of their writings and all of their iconography and all of their symbols would be preserving this Enochian language, this not Enoch the righteous, I'm talking about Enoch the evil. It's kind of the priest class that comes from Cain, that this is where the the mystery religions had their origin point was really Cain and his son, Enoch. And this is where the book of second Enoch and third Enoch are really, those are those kind of enchantment books in that regard. Those are people that are getting initiated into the the mystery religions. Whereas first Enoch was Enoch the righteous, you know, the one who walked with Elohim and was not because Yahuwah translated him. There was these that that's that continuity of the seed war. Well they preserved that data, that information so that during the flood that survived that information survived. And so after the flood, there was this regathering, especially under the sons of Ham, people that went out and transcribed that information and began to try to collect the pieces of information to be able to start to commune with these spirits again. Because these immortals, you must understand, the immortals didn't all suddenly rebel one time and then it was over. There is a sequential falling away that can happen over time. At the end of it, ultimately, it says the dragon is going to take a third of the immortals with him. And then he is going to execute his absolute final plan, his final agenda against the sons of man on the earth. That is, that's what we're preparing for. That's literally the time that we're like, we're gearing up to fight our war at the war of all the wars, you know, where every deception of the adversary is coming at us from every potential angle. That's what we're starting to experience. And I really believe that's because that 
those mystery religions that gathered up that information that was assimilated under Nimrod. He was the king of all the earth. He was the one when it was still one tribe, one people, one tongue. They all bound themselves to one mind and gathered in the plains of Shinar to build this tower of Babel with which they wanted to ascend into heaven and be able to set up their almighty ones to fight against Elohim, to, to reign and rule from there. And that's where that knowledge was confused. But at Babel is where these interjection of these principalities were given territory that literally Yahuwah like separated the earth. It says like in Psalm 82, he divided the earth according to the number of the sons of Elohim. And this division, he gave them wicked principalities because mankind rejected Yahuwah. They rejected keeping his ways. They rejected his commandments. They didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, fine, I'm going to choose one tribe for myself, one nation for myself. You can have all the other ones. And this is what he's talking about in Psalm chapter two. These, these judges of the earth, these ones that should be doing righteous things, should be doing good. Instead, they're horrible. They're, they're doing all the things that you would never want your kings to do. That's that principality that governs a territory. That's like the prince of Persia that contended with Daniel's messenger when he was sent to answer his prayer. These are those principalities. So like here in the Americas, my family, the archaeologists who uncovered some of these mounds, these serpent mounds, they found access to those pieces of information that had been preserved from the days of the Tower of Babel. These these books from Ur, Uruk and Uruk is like the, the land where Abram was from. Same place where Nimrod and Abram at the time were contemporaneous. They were, Abraham was literally the one that Yahuwah chose to, to come out of all of that pagan ideology. And Nimrod was the one who tried to ascend to godhood in that sense. And so that's where so many of these mystery religions and these bloodline families, like the 13 bloodlines that people want to talk about, that's where they had their origin after the flood. And so that's where they were trying to bring about the dragon courts and raise up the, the rulers and the kings of the earth. That's that... Anybody like the Arsenis, they have a heraldry where they claim that they have the divine right to rule because they can trace their bloodline to the to the tower, to Nimrod. So therefore, they have this divine right to rule. And so that's where a lot of those, I mean, all of those different archetypes of information begin to kind of get assimilated. The, the Reynolds family and a lot of the families here in the Americas, they kind of tapped into that or were maybe bastard sons from those bloodlines. They were holdovers from it. And they tapped the way into that information and began to use the rites and rituals to, to join themselves to these seed lines. Did you say that actual family members of yours did have access to tablets that they found in mounds? Was that's that so, that's like say- what our family found back in the 1800s that kind of got and them did, did, plugged into did the you have any? Did you have any access to them? Did you see them? I never, I never got to see them. I just got to be told what they had. I got to see the other artifacts that were pulled out of the serpent mounds and stuff like that, but I never got to see the actual books. Those were not mine. You have to be, you have to be one of the priests. I was not part of the priest class, if that makes sense. I was like an enforcer, you know, the the other artifact, what else, what, what did you have access to? What did you see? Like my, my family's got thousands and thousands of, you know, things that they pulled out of their pottery, arrowheads, all of the different like things that they used inside their little kind of cult, but it wasn't uh it was not the actual texts. Okay. Just curious. And then, so, so one of the questions I saw earlier and I had the same question uh, and I don't, you know, I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but uh, how, how do you leave a family like this? I mean, they, I would think that they'd be after you. Are you in danger? You know, <laughs> let's just put it super transparently. You bet, man. There's, there's, there's no uncertain terms around this, you know, like there's people that actively seek the the destruction of my family. You know, it's not just me now because my family is like a living witness against these people. Like we're their worst nightmare uh, I, in that regard. 
And, and you know, so like, they've come after us. They've tried to kill us numerous times throughout the last, you know, was this seven years that we've been coming out and speaking out against them really in the last six years since I published the book and things got a lot more brutal. Things got a lot more violent in different ways. But I have also got to go back to why the judge of all the earth is the one who I appeal to, because at the end of the day, he is the one who supersedes their ability to stop, to stop their hand. At the end of the day, he's the one who protects my life. If, if he, if he says I live, we live, man. And we've got to see him stop jam firearms, man, stop vehicles. We've seen him literally make drones go flying up out of the sky that were in our face, like military drones, huge ones, man, quadcopters that were as big as my car. Like we, we have seen him do supernatural provision and protection over my family and save my family's life time and time again. And so at the end of the day, like we aren't given over to that spirit of fear, man, but we, we believe we are ruled by spirit of, of, of power and love and a sound mind. That's what he has given to us, you know, and that's what we hold on to. At the end of the day, we don't fear death because we're dead already. My wife and I are dead. We're dead family walking. And, and every single day that we live, it's because he says so. And if he ever chooses to say otherwise, man, then we become martyrs for the truth. And that's the greatest thing that we could ever die for. I want to, if anything I ever want to suffer for, it's for pursuing righteousness and for advocating the kingdom of righteousness sake. You know, it's, it's an easy thing to suffer for doing evil. You know, it's nobody should expect otherwise, but it's good to suffer for doing good and doing what he said. And so it's, if they persecuted my master, you know, they're going to persecute me. And that's, that's the place I'd rather find rather than being in a house of compromise. Amen. Hallelujah to that. Wow. That's powerful. You know, it's funny because I do sense on you, um, like anybody that I know myself included who really submits their heart to Christ and starts to, uh, develop that personal relationship. There's a sense of urgency where we don't hold back anymore. And I sense that times 10 on you, that you have a sense of urgency to be heard. You've been on a lot of podcasts lately. Uh, we're so grateful to have you on ours as well. Uh, but I, I, is that kind of, would that be an accurate description of, of you're on a mission? You, you know, that you're a spiritual being having a human experience, you're working for the the side of light and you are going to go full throttle until, until God says you're done. Is that kind of where you're at right now? Heck yeah, man. You gotta, I, I know the immediacy of death way well, you know, I've been familiar with death my entire life. And so I, I never thought I would, I never thought I would see 17 years old. Like it was, it was unconscionable that I would live that long. I saw death on such a regular occurrence, so much violence, so much anguish of soul that I couldn't even fathom living that long in my life. And so to, to get to a place in my life where I'd survived that long and I kept surviving, I kept being that last man standing over and over and over and over again. I was the sole survivor over and over and over again. And I realized, and this is what I think I weaponized against me so early on was that other people realized that and they began to profiteer off of that. And that's why I was put into these projects to go after people and to start hunting people because they realized they could make a bunch of money off of somebody that's like seemingly protected, divinely protected in that sense. And it was to me, it was a path of violence was the way out that I could bring justice through my hands. But I found at the end of it, when that had, when I'd wrung that out, the sword, like a blade as being the tool that we could fight this battle with one person at a time, just to go and exterminate these people that were pedophiles and these abusers. At the end of that, I saw that he used words to change the nations. Like it was, it was so much more effective strategy that he had to set captives free, to loosen the bonds of oppression. Like people are out there suffering from the same bitterness of soul, from the same depression, from the same self-hatred, from the shame, from the same shame and, and rage that I had. And he set me free with a word. Like he claimed ownership of me, you know, like I understood that I was no longer my own, but I was his. And I wanted to devote myself to serving him because he saved my life. He literally saved my life so many times. And I was sitting there at the end of these times, man, where I'd be, I would, I would have these moments of recognizing 
that the only reason I'm alive right now is because he said so. And then I have a duty. Like inherently, man, I'm a man who's fueled by an insatiable need for justice. I like I mean that in that like biography when people are saying that. It's not a joke. Like I am absolutely committed to trying to see justice brought on this earth. And I recognize that there really is a righteous judge of the earth. These people do these things. They literally go down in these dark places and they think that Yahuwah can't see them. They think that he can't hear them. They think that they are getting away with it because nobody sees their secrets. But it's an absolute blinding of pride that blinds them from the reality that the one who formed the eyes, he sees. The one who formed the ears, he hears. And you know what he said? Everything they've done in secret will be brought to the light. Everything they've whispered in the ear is going to get shouted from the rooftops. So I had this massive list of bloodshed in my past. I had sins on sins. I had great iniquity, man, that I knew at the end of the, no matter what I tried to do, if I ever wanted to advance my, his kingdom and work in his kingdom, if I didn't confess these sins, if I didn't come forward and say, this is what I've done. This is, this is the great dark depravity of what I've been a part of. Like I, I, de- I devoured the lives of people. I hunted people and I, I ruined me. And it ruined my family. It destroyed everything that I ever knew. And I am trying to send out instead and speak the truth no matter the cost. I'm trying to stand here and tell people, listen, no matter what you're a part of, what you've been a part of, you can come out and you can find freedom. You can find restoration. You can find deliverance. And then you can be a part of the kingdom that wins. Like we have, a, we have an assurance. We have a blessed assurance that he is the victor. Like he conquered death. That's a real thing that actually took place, like an actual reliable historical event. When he died, he went down into the bowels of the earth and he heralded over them in victory and took captivity captive. He took the keys of death from the devil who had had them and he literally preached to them who were in chains of darkness. He preached to these watchers, the greatest evil bad guys that had ever been, and he conquered them. And so because of that, he had all dominion and all authority. Like you said, he is the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. Like in the beginning, he was there. He's the lamb slain before the creation of the world. And he says, this is our charge to go therefore into all the nations to preach the gospel of this good, of his kingdom to every creature. Man, there are literally people I preach to who don't believe they are human, who believe that they are sons of the serpent like I did. They're irredeemable. They believe that they're hybridized. They believe they have no ability to ever come into the kingdom. They never have a chance for freedom. And you know what? I get to sit there and preach the gospel to those creatures because that's what we are charged to do. And so, yeah, man, I am a zealot. I'm an absolute sold out fanatical radical who absolutely is committed to devoting myself to to, to trying to share with people, this is how you can get out of this stuff. This is how you can be free. And I want people to be bold and courageous for the word. I want them to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness because his word is what set me free. It's living, it's active, it's sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than any knife that I ever could have wielded. It's effective. It pierces through the soul and the spirit. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of man. And by, by keeping his word, man, there's great reward. And so that's the reward I'm after, man. I am, I am there to try to seek after his kingdom first and his righteousness. And I've seen him add unto me life. I'm like my family. I've got four children right now. Those are the first children born free in generations. Like they get the gift of free will that I never had. They get the gift of choosing what this day they're going to do with their life. And it's giving them an opportunity to be a witness to people all across the world that they can live a powerful, profound life if they would just choose this day whom they'll serve. Amen, brother. Your repentance has, has loosed your children as they will be loosed in heaven, right, from this this generational curse. Um, 
you know, for the story arc too, for our listeners. So, so you were raised in this, uh, occultic family and then you, um, were probably had your, your, you were fractured emotionally through abuse. And Mm -hmm. then they kind of, they, they groomed you to be an assassin and then you end up working for the government. Is that, you know, tell us about your, that arc of the story about your assassin, uh, level for our listeners. Yeah, man. Basically, one of the, the key tenets that when they're going through that shattering and that trauma in the early phases, that what, they, what they're really looking for is psychological testing to find out what is it that motivates you? You know, what is it that makes you want to get Wait, up in the morning? So, Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but in order for – are these families working in cahoots with the government? Are they, are they grooming their own children to end up in these positions or this is, was, was this a, a route that you took to find purpose in your pain? I mean, how did you end up – in the military. Sorry, right. I mean, if I'm interrupting, I apologize. You, no, that's all right, man. Ask them all. Ask them all. You know, okay. I'll, I'll say this. The government is so intimately interconnected with these families that that's, that's where they interplay in a powerful way. Like the, the, we had military handlers, like military family members. My family doesn't descend from on paper military backgrounds. There's a lot of, a lot of short terms in the military where they go in and they get out real quick. And that's what happened with me. I wasn't in for very long because you don't want anybody in too long. There's, Lots of different reasons. We'll get into that a little bit, but there was a need for them to produce a product. Okay. And when you're trying to develop super super soldiers, this is really what the program that the United States military has always been in pursuit of every, every government, every agency eventually gets to a place where they want to produce super soldiers. And that's really where they started working and turning towards these dark sciences that how do we produce these types of slaves? How do we produce these people that are part of it? And so there was military handlers that were part of my family that we're trying to produce what they call like an X-class project where they want somebody that can, that can work in covert operations, but as children, okay. Children are utilized by drug, by organized crime families because they're a lot less, they're a lot less noticeable. They're a lot less concerning. And so it's easy for them to be able to traffic drugs and traffic pornography, you know, pedophilia and the, the byproducts of a lot of that process, they, they're the ones who are the mules for this in families. And so children that then get training in that, if you have this need for justice, like I did, especially even early on, that was something I wanted. I wanted it to stop. I knew I was defiled. I knew I, I didn't have a way out. I knew there was no way I could get free, but I wanted somebody else to be protected from another destruction of the soul. I wanted somebody else to be protected from that. That's what got manipulated in me. And so the Jesuits have been renowned assassins from the beginning. That's like one of their preemptive tactics is using covert killing. And that's really what it comes down to is, is you get trained in the arts of poison. You get trained in the arts of, of causing people's death to look like a suicide, to make it look like an overdose, to look like, you know, they died through natural causes, you know, whether it's giving too much potassium to somebody or too much morphine so that their hearts stop and it looks natural causes that they died of, you know, a heart attack. You start to get trained in how to go after and kill people. And then you get also initiated into how to kill them in a way that sends a message to the masses so that when you want another brother, another uh, oath keeper to cover up a crime, you might cut out their tongue and shove it through the, the roof of their mouth so that the person who comes and investigates the body makes it disappear. This is like part of the oaths that these people swear is to cover up crimes of other brothers. That's one of the ways that they do that is when somebody is killed, they specifically carve into the body sigils that make sure that it's a marker that it's known into that. So this for me became like uh, those outlets for me. Those, those were the ways that I got my vengeance 
was seeped out in that way. Now, when the the military started getting involved was in a, in a more profound or intimate way, was when my family relocated to Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is really the central hub of a lot of the continuity of government. So all of the deep underground military bases, the places where the military and, and the government will relocate during the event of uh, World War III or massive cataclysms, that's what centralized form of government for the New World Order really is is focused there. And so my family began to put me in positions with people within the United States Air Force that operated out of NORAD Cheyenne Mountain, which is a very famous uh, underground military base that was designed to withstand a nuclear blast. That's where military handlers started grooming me to go into the military. And some of this comes from like, I use this word handler and maybe the best way to describe that is sometimes like it's a hero. It's like a guy who comes in at a moment of your life and helps you or saves your life. And that's kind of what happened. I had this experience where people like rescued me and other people that were going through this horrible ritual and they were part of this military force. I was told that this Lobos team, these wolves that go out and they investigate human trafficking and they stock sex crimes. And so to me, I got bonded with one of these guys to groom me to go into the military, that that was what I wanted to be able to do, that that was what I wanted to be a part of. But at the same time, you, you start to uncover later on in life that this is another mind game, you know, that this is how they bond you to the next assignment. The person's going to handle you and control you for later on years in your life. Um, in our comments over here, we have a regular uh, viewer, uh, music lover, and she's asking, is this part of the super soldier program? Is that, is that kind of the, the gist or were you part of that? Yes, absolutely. That's a, the basis. The fundamental basis to a lot of super soldier programs is dis- the, the intentional creation of dis- different identities, multiple personalities or dissociative identities. That's, that's one of the most key most parts of how to create a super soldier is you need somebody that's got these fractured altars so that they can be an assassin who doesn't know they're an assassin. You know, this is what you need. You need somebody who's a spy who doesn't know they're a spy. So when they're captured, they don't disclose information because they can't know it. They don't have any conscious know abouts. You know, you want sleeper cells. You want people that are undetectable. And this is where a lot of the occult comes in is because they've been creating this army for the beast for a long time. They're called chosen ones. And this is what's often referred to as the black awakening. These are people who've been programmed to be waiting for a time where they are going to rise and cause chaos, go out and, and kill and butcher and set fire and destroy the landscape of what we would know as normal society so that they can bring out a requ- where people are demanding that somebody take control of these people and stop it, do whatever it takes to stop it, to usher in a much more militant state, a, a new world order in that sense. That's been on the horizon for generations. And I was going to say, is that what we're living through right now with all the the food processing plants burning and the forest fires is that have they been unleashed on us dude i think i think you've seen a couple be unleashed this is there's millions of chosen ones millions of them sleeper so cells that have been even, waiting to be activated and it's like my family dude, let me just put it here's let me give you an example like back where my family is from you just put this this way We're, we've got a family of these people okay and they're placing critical infrastructure. Like they control all the natural gas for all of the power production facilities for seven states. One guy. Okay. You turn that guy on and you make him turn everybody's power off on a day like tonight. You guys talking about all these horrible temperatures and everything else. And then they're suddenly like, oh, we got power outages for, you know, 15 million people. Well, that's one guy. That's, that's one critical infrastructure employee who you got a sleeper cell that works there who's got clearances and everything else that he's needed and has a backstory. And he's been doing this for 50 years, 60 years. He's been building this backstory to be able to be in that position. That's why I talk about the trust fund of really interconnected families is getting somebody that job. Does that make sense? You create the undetectable slave for decades 
of working that, reinforcing that, making sure they have the right handlers to put them in that position ultimately once they've been vetted out and everything else. That's where they're placed. That's one person, okay? Like similar people, like when they want to go cause major chaos and a total redistribution of wealth in a different way, they go and set a bunch of forests on fire, like you talked about. Like this is one that happened outside of Colorado Springs, right around the Air Force Academy, where some guy, one of these sleeper cells, goes out and lights a bunch of fires. Russian Spetsnaz were doing a bunch of training with their super soldiers. At the same time, co- working with some of the super soldiers at Fort Carson, Colorado, we had Russian soldiers over here, their Spetsnaz, doing trainings with them in the forest, and then one of them sets fires. And they start these fires, end up burning down huge swaths of the entire landscape, including where a lot of the access to the deep underground military bases are by Rampart Range Road above the United States Air Force Academy. I mean, it caused massive destruction. You got to see a city of hundreds of thousands of people fleeing for their lives from one forest fire, right? So this is this is from just a handful of people. Like when we would send over and want to invade a country, that's the kinds of soldiers that we send over, like Delta operatives, right? These are guys who don't exist for all intents and purposes, but a couple of them can go to a hardware store and dismantle a city overnight. That's a sleeper cell, okay? Chosen ones have been doing this, family members like the ones I come from, do this to their children, whether they know it or not, they're gonna create another chosen one. If it's one out of every three children, they're gonna create this. And they've been doing this since the 1930s. And so now we have generations, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth generations of people that have been creating these sleeper cells for this destruction of America, for the destruction of morality, really Christendom in a sense. They want to destroy and cause people to lose all their faith in it. Because if you got one guy who's tasked, like I had lists of people that I was supposed to go out and assassinate whenever that call came. That was it. You're just going to go out and kill all these people. You start to find out later on, like somebody works at a researcher at a a facility that does biological weapons research. And you're like, why is that guy getting taken out? You know, you start to find out like there's people that'll start to go out on those days of chaos and they're going to go kill police officers. They're going to go kill firefighters. They're going to go kill trash men because if you can just stop people's trash services, literally it turns places into ghettos really quick. These are like ways that they can cause those days of chaos, that anarchy, that great purge. That's going to be these chosen ones that are activated and go out on these mass chaos killings. And they're going to have black eyes and they're going to be totally possessed by these spirits because that's what's inside them programmed inside them. These demons are put inside there to hold that programming, to bring it out when those, that signal is given for them. Wow. Boy, there's so many questions I have for you. And and if you don't mind, I mean, I'll just, if you'll indulge me, did, did you get any insight or is there any truth to the, the theory that in some of these, uh, like I know Area 51 is just number 51 out of thousands. Is is there any, have you heard anything about uh, Nephilim being brought back through genetic programs of any, have you seen or heard of anything like that? You know, I would say just no more than, I don't know about Nephilim specifically. Like, I think there's a lot of backbreeding programs that have been going on forever that people have been trying to raise up and breed them back for whether that's the Anunnerbi and the Ubermanch programs of the Nazis, you know, where they were trying to breed back this this bloodline of these beings. But I, I don't think that you're looking at the same giant size of it. I okay. think the way that they really utilized so much of the genetic manipulation was towards brilliance in intelligence and in their ability to... S- I mean, completely devour and destroy their adversaries because that's ultimately like the powers and the rulers wanted. That's why they were giants back then because militant might was physically demonstrated through size and strength in that sense. But whereas today, that's not how it operates. And so that's not really what you're bred for. Like my family bred soldiers, bred assassins for that regard. So it's not like you don't want big, scary, tough looking, soldier looking guys. You know what I mean? Like you want athletes. 
you want unassuming endurance athletes. That's what you want, you know? And so that's what they bred for. And so you can, but you have different families that are breeding for different things, whether that's beautification and people that are in the model and in that industry. But whereas when you want to talk about like transgenics programs and things that are taking place in underground military bases, so much of that occult sciences that are taking place in there, I really believe that's because they are literally in directed communications and interactions with the fallen angels, with the immortals who are teaching them the same sciences that they were teaching the women and the men before the flood. This is the same days of Noah that we're living in, that it says, Yeshua said that like in the days of Noah, so it's going to be at the days of the coming of the son of man. And those same alteration, the genetic manipulation of our food, of our clothing, of our industry, of our air, we breathe all of that total epigenetic destruction of what the image of man was made to be has been taking place inside these underground research facilities for a long time. But I can't say I have direct evidence of the specific programs for a Nephilim backbreeding program in that regard. Okay. Gotcha. <clears throat> and then, um, do you see a correlation between CERN and what happened down in Miami recently? And, uh, you know, anything like, do you, or do you think that, what happened in Miami is pro part of project blue beam or was, I mean, any thoughts on it? I mean, I don't have an opinion. I'm just curious what, what were your intuition, your spiritual intuition tells you about some of these things. Like is CERN no, man, possibly crack, cracking portals? Are they, is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> you bet, man. That's, that's CERN is trying to open the gates to the abyss. Like, let's just put it super transparently. They're trying, like you've got a dimensional portals that you're trying to get into, but you got to understand they're, they're shooting blindly into the depths of the earth. Like they're, they don't have, this is why they, they do these, you know, the ceremonies of care, these different like rituals, the opening of the Goddard tunnels and why they're, they're bringing in sorcerers and priests to try to do these ritual magic because they, the scientists on one side of it aren't read in to the full agenda of what they're there to do. Whereas you have the former director of CERN saying that we're trying to create dimensional doorways so that we can pull information out and put information in. And we also don't know what's going to come out and come through those doors when we do this. They, by their own disclosures, public statements, that's one of their agendas is to reach into these other realms and try to get intellect, to try to get power and control and communication with this other side. The issue that you're having and why they play CERN where it was, you had a temple of a that used to be above it on one side of the equation. And so this is where those doors, like we were talking about earlier, got opened up. And these are places, high places, like the United States Navy has a, a another place where I come from. It's a major research and observatory area. They have all of these um, like Lowell Observatory. And then the United States Navy has has one of their, their most advanced optical, like... Do you see a correlation? I'm sorry, I'm hearing a little feedback yeah, yeah, Jesse, we can hear you. We can hear you playing that back. <laughs> no worries. He'll get it. But that being said, there was this, there's this observatory, Naval Research Observatory, because there's this, this need for people to commune with the celestial heavenly host. They're trying to communicate with these deities that are above. And then you have people that are opening cyclotrons and cyclotrons and, and atom smashers and these portal openers for communications with those beneath. And so you have these two realms of scientific research, like another place for that in Arizona is on Mount Graham, where you have the Lucifer telescope that's headed by the Vatican. Like this is literally the Jesuits full through and through, but on under Mount Graham at one of these places where they have this research observatory, they also have a particle accelerator. And so they're trying to create those doors to the, to the realms beneath, but they're also trying to communicate with the ones above. And so that's so much of what happens when they start to open those rifts up. Yes. I do think it brings forth a lot of these manifestations of these 
you know, whether you want to call them Ophanum or people call them UAPs, UFOs, but like, these are like, these are the corporate bodies of a species, a class of angels that were called Ophanum in the scriptures, like the chariots within wheels, within wheels. That's literally their vehicles. Those are the craft to, to transport these dimensional entities within them. So to regarding your, the specifics of what happened in Miami, you know, I'm full disclosure. I'm not sold on it being a reality. Like as in like that, because the difficulty that we run into with any of these events is if there's not substantive evidence to purport it, I also am not, I don't want to give too much leniency upon it as it's not its own psychological operation to try to make a bunch of people look like idiots that are going along with that communication. However, what's being described and some of the things that people are putting forth, it's absolutely possible, but I'm super cautious on that one because I think at the end of the day, man, when these things really, these giants are coming back. Like they're, they are going to come back. The beasts of the earth are going to come out of there. These, these monsters, these hybrids, these dragons, like real dragons, they're going to come crawling out of these, these places that they've been hiding inside the earth. And they're going to devour people on an un, impossible scale. And it is going to be an overwhelming nightmare when these things come out of the earth. That being said, this is why we're, we're told like men's hearts are going to fail them for fear of looking after these things that are coming up on the earth. You know, we're not to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. We're supposed to know our adversary. We're supposed to know what his tactics and his schemes are so that we're not fearful in those days so that we don't have to run in terror that we can stand and fight and we can resist and understand why we were given the gibberim the mighty men of valor why we were given these stories of how joshua conquered these nations that had giants that were massive that had cities that had been built out to resist the invasion of the israelites for hundreds of years all of these hybridized breeding programs have been taking place there they had the most ferocious warriors on the earth and they had this untrained army of the Israelites coming in to fight them. And it's literally said, Yahuwah sent hornets to destroy the giants and drive them out ahead of them. Like he raised up the creatures of the earth to help fight for them. Like he had supernatural signs and wonders. It said that the stars fought from the heavens in the times against Sisera's army. Like the father has such incredibly better armies than anything that the worst things out of the pit of hell can ever create. And he is on our side. And that's why we don't need to be fearful when these things do come out or they do come upon us because we need to be in those moments quick and ready to give an answer to those who are asking us a reason for what's happening, what's taking place here. And how can we, how can we resist? How do we fight them back? Like it tells us in the book of Amos, how they killed the giants, how they fought them. It says they attacked them from their, their roots beneath and their fruits from above. Like these are literal tactics for how we can engage these entities and destroy them. Like why you got to cut their heads off and separate their bodies. Like there's brilliant insights in how to deal with these beings right here in the scriptures. And it's stuff, dude, I get all kinds of fired up. We talk about tungsten and armor piercing weapons and all kinds of stuff. We can go all kinds of directions from there too, if you want. Jesse, can you hear us now? Are you back in? Oh, I guess not. Okay. He might Uh, be delayed. I bet he will. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, we're, uh, we're an hour and a half in. (laughs) <laughs> Where, what, what is the next part of this story arc that you'd like our listeners to know? What's, uh, I, I feel like I've been diverting you with some random questions. Anything else you want us to, to, to take us on this journey that you've been on? Man, you know, I would just say on, on the other side of it, one of the, the most important things was seeing like to come out of it, you know, because it's a, it's a key portion of it that you can't lose sight of, you know, I had to see and witness brave men standing up and demonstrating power, demonstrating authority, who were not afraid, who were not afraid of speaking the truth. You know, I, I needed to see that 
so for so long in my life and I didn't really see it growing up. I didn't see it. I was growing up in a Christian church too. It wasn't like my family was on some satanic island and doing all this stuff. My family's best camouflage they could ever put on was middle income Christian America. And that's the literal world that they ran in. We were sitting in people's churches. We went from denomination to denomination at church. Like my family moved all over this country while these events were taking place. Like we went to some of the biggest churches in the country and some of the smallest ones, you know? And it was like, I didn't get to see men standing on a stage talking like this. I never got to hear people who spoke with authority. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I got to see this version of manliness that was so emasculated and so weak that it couldn't detect radical intelligent evil sitting in front of it i saw people that were so spiritually blind and dulled that they had no attenuation to test the spirits that were going on around them and it gave me this horrible image of what a believer was supposed to be or look like and i think I, it left me with this hunger for a warrior i was looking for warriors but what it also did is it drove me to the scriptures at an early age, he's got you. It drove me to the scriptures at an early age, and I got to learn I, the word I, for myself. I'm relating on a smaller level, but I'm totally relating. That's been my journey for the last couple of years. I left my church after 20 years, and I found myself completely starving for for strong men of leadership in the body of Christ. Uh, and and I believe that the the church has become lukewarm, and people are falling away like crazy because they're they're not getting, you know, on a on a hot day you want a cold drink, and on a cold day you want a hot drink. But they're just lukewarm all the time, trying to be worldly, because they don't want to offend anybody or they don't want to, you know. So so like what you're saying is courage is contagious. We just need to see some courage to 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 to, to spark that fire. Is that is that accurate? How I'm portraying that? Am I yeah. my understanding? That's. You got it right, man. Courage is absolutely the inoculant to fear. It really is, you know, is, is feeling that like I've got, I've got four children right now and my oldest daughter, I thought she was, she had this, like, she has this deep, passionate warrior kind of mentality, but at the same time, she's timid and reserved in some ways, but her younger sister, she's like intuitively brave. She's just way more jump in and do after, go after it and do stuff. And so my, my oldest daughter will stand there, you know, and it's like, you want you to jump in this, jump in the river, jump in the river. And she'll be like, um, you do it, Jubilee. You'll do it. You go first. And she'll always do that. She's like, she gets inspired by the other person's bravery. And my other daughter, she's inherently brave. She jumps in. It's like a default setting. You know, it's a default setting, but like my daughter Jubilee is the one to infect Naomi with courage, you know? And it's like, we, that gets bred out of us. If you go through modern systematized schooling. That that boldness, that set apartness, that willingness to stand up and do the dangerous thing, that gets systemically ruined out of men and women when they are little. They destroy that as soon as they can. They destroy and rape your identity from you and turn you into the collective. There's trauma-based mind control in every scholastic program that is in this country. And I'm, not, I'm talking Christian as well as public, private and public. We are, we are designed to be stupid, to go along and be herd class sheeple. It is a disgusting way of ruining the precious inheritance of what, what our children are supposed to be to us. It says, your children are an inheritance from Yahuwah. The fruit of the womb is your reward. Like arrows in the hands of a mighty man, a gibor, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be ashamed. Like you will not be ashamed when you stand with your enemies in the gate. You will not, you will not have to fear your enemies' reprisals because the fruit of your life, your true 
sharpest swords are standing there next to you. You are a force to be reckoned with. Like my wife and I, it says one of you can put a thousand to flight and two of you can put 10,000 to flight. Well, me and my family together can wage a war against the nations because we know that Yahuwah is with us, but we have to get rid of that, that spirit of fear that is being perpetually infected and pushed on us day after day after day. This entire society is being led astray because it says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of non-believers so they cannot see the esteem of the good news and come to him. That's his tactic. It says, do not be ignorant of the schemes of the dragon. That's his camouflage. When people are ignorant of his schemes, it allows him to manipulate and operate and infect society and control society and leech into it parasitically. But when we have men and women of conviction, righteous conviction who resist evil, who resist oppression, who resist bondage and slavery, who are incorruptible. Man, that's why they create secret societies to systemically go in and try to eradicate them and hunt them down because that's their enemy. It says the dragon comes down with great wrath because he knows his time is short and he goes to make war with those who guard the commandments of Yahuwah and keep the testimonies of Yeshua. That's the enemy number one. That's who public enemy number one is. That's who's actually on the dragon's hit list. That's where I want to be. I want to be there, and I want to be there with the other warriors. I want to be there with the other Gibberim, the mighty men in valor. I want to be found among them, and I want to be standing on those rocks by myself or with a band of brothers crying out that this is the way to live valiantly, live courageously. Like I tell people all the time, live dangerously. Like don't sit down and be safe. Everyone was walking around with this mantra telling everyone to be safe like a dog. And I was like, no, we are commanded to live courageously. We are commanded to literally go out and wage a war. We're supposed to be like soldiers in our mentality. That was one of the best things the United States Army instilled in me was a disciplined mind of an understanding that like we have actual enemies. You're supposed to know your enemy and you're supposed to tear down the strongholds. It says, for this reason, the son of God, the son of Elohim was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. That's his mission. That means that's my mission. That means that's your mission, Jesse, and yours, Outcast, and everyone who's listening that wants to be a part of this. We are to destroy, seek and kill and destroy the tactics of the enemy and make sure that people understand this is the truth. This is his word, and this is our life. This is the thing that we must cling to and hold on to. That's where my identity was found. That's where I was rebuilt, was seeing men of courage standing up, preaching the word, but they were talking about these types of topics. They were being brave to stand up and suffer persecution, suffer the experiences of being demonetized and deplatformed and losing their audience. They experienced that, and that's good. It's a promise that, that we're walking in a kingdom. It says if the world loves you, like you're talking about pastors that are preaching a a, a soft, soggy, greasy, grace gospel, those guys that are seeking the applause of men, that's the reward on this earth. That's all you're going to get. But it says the world loves you, man, they should hate us. They should persecute us because that's what they did to our master. And we're no better than him. But you know what? He said, greater works are you going to go out and do. And so that's what I am believing and seeking every day of my life. And I hope those of you guys that are listening understand that can be your life too. There's nothing that is keeping you from the same dangerous life that you know what? It is, it's good for us to understand our life is a vapor. 
And you know what? I could be here today and this could be the last show I ever do. And if it is, hallelujah, because I groan for the day of my deliverance, man. I want to be with the Messiah. I want to be, I am tired. I am exhausted. I've been longing for the day of my death since the day I could first think a conscious thought. But you know what? I understand that I'm here. And if I'm here, I'm on assignment and I'm on duty and I have a job to do, which is to serve the King of Kings, the captain of the heavenly host. And that's what I have been joined up to do. And I'll do that with every breath of my body. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. What a powerful message. I am so grateful to hear you say these things. It's, 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 it's so art, it's articulated so perfectly. And it's something that Jesse and I have both been saying on the show for a long time. I, I, I should give you a little backstory. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, our, our listeners know this, but you know, Jesse, I was on, on my face in prayer asking God for wisdom and discernment and he was granting it. I was seeing things I never saw before and I was like, okay, now what do I do with it? Tell me what to do. And then Jesse called me one day and he said, hey, I want to start a podcast. I want you to be my co-host. So then I had no aspirations of doing a podcast and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it because I knew that I, I've learned to be obedient when God presents something after prayer. And then we got into it and I said, hey, Jesse, what do you think about me praying before we, we record this? He said, let's do it. So I'd pray and then better we'd have a great podcast. And then Jesse says, why don't you pray on the air? But my greater point is this. We've been on a slow journey, um, just entrenching ourselves deeper in our faith and finding courage in our faith. And everything you're talking about has been happening to us in a slightly different trajectory than yours. Your story is wild and extreme and, and, and powerful. Uh, lots of uh, uh, extraordinary things going on with your, with your testimonial. But I will say, probably for myself, I, I know I can say this and probably for every one of our listeners, they can relate to what you're saying. And, and we are um, fed and encouraged by the things that you're presenting right here. Your passion and your fervor and your commitment is what we have in our hearts, but you are you are masterful at articulating it, and your courage is contagious to the rest of us. I cannot thank you enough for this testimony. This is really really meaty stuff. Um, this means the world to, to all of us. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, it's, it's amazing. Oh, outcast man. I, I'm just, I'm honored to, I never know who I'm going to sit down and do these shows with. I'll just be super transparent with you guys. I don't last, the last, last night I did a show with a guy who was not on our team if that makes sense. Oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I'm on with chaos magicians and people that are open to cultists. And it's, it is just such a refreshment when I get to sit down and I get to join arms with other brothers in the battle. You know what I'm saying? Like it is, it is so amazing to get to see him raising up his remnant army. That is literally like, we are getting to experience what people have longed to see these days. Like I rejoice as the evil is like coming out of the closets. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there, yeah. this is the revelation of the beast. It's the revelation of the beast system right now. But you know what? They, they have this horrible blindness that has taken them captive that they, they have missed the mark, man, of ever understanding that that beast kingdom that they're beginning to reveal to everyone to get them to try to embrace this ideology of Luciferianism and all the enticements of occultism and marketing and this re-enchantment of man and this pantheistic worship of these old gods. They're firing everything they got right now. And you know what? What's so beautiful is they... The truth that's been written from long ago is that the ultimate reality that's going to take place is the revelation of Yeshua, the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, man. It's unstoppable. And you know what he says? The days of Daniel was prophesied what this was going to look like and how this was going to go down. And it said, they that know their God, they that know their God will, will do strong and do great exploits. Like this is like 
this is the time for when we get to see those things come to pass. Like I am honored to be able to come on here and get to meet other brothers who are deliberately setting their lives apart and offering themselves up. Like you said, to minister to others that have need, you know, we need so many other people to come alongside with us. Like we, we need allies in this fight. And you know what? I recruit from behind enemy lines every chance I get. I will go and preach to anybody, I, anybody who invites me on to, to talk about this. man. I don't care what level of evil they're a part of. I, I'll go preach to the very watchers themselves because if that's an opportunity that I have to go into the places of darkness, man, I'm trying to set captives free. And I understood what it was like to be a captive behind those lines. I was sitting in a room when Russ Dizdar was speaking with knives strapped to my chest, razor blades in my shoes, syringes preloaded, like ready to rock day and night, waiting for those calls. And that guy started calling out my life from the stage. Like somebody read my mail in a way I'd wow. never heard before. That man described who I was in a way no one, no one had ever talked to me like. That man understood me as a total stranger, and he knew the deepest parts of myself and where I had wounds that were inexpressible. He, he spoke to me, and, he, and he, he did not shame me for who I was. He did not shame me for the things I had done to survive the things I was still doing to survive. He didn't embarrass me. He didn't belittle me. He didn't mock me and use me and profiteer off of me and manipulate me. He was a minister of the word, like he truly was preaching the gospel, but he had to talk about the darkness. He had to talk about radical evil and the infestation in the church. Like that's what his talk was called. It was at this conference in 2014 called Prophecy in the News, and his talk was called The Satanic Infiltration of the Church. And man, that makes people so scared. It's awful, but Christians are terrified to hear even those that sentence come out of their mouth. But that's where our enemy has infested himself. He has sown himself into that place. And I just, I was so desperate to find answers to what was wrong with me, to find answers to how do I get out of this? Like, I didn't know I could get out of the cult my entire life. And here I was married and I still had people in my family trying to get me to come back in and trying to get me to go and be a part of this stuff. I, to this day, I still have these people come into my life and try to manipulate me and draw me back into this and use me and, and control me again, you know, but I needed someone who was willing to sit there and, and wage a war against the most powerful forces of darkness that have ever been just for the souls of men. He was willing to do that. That guy laid down his life. He gave up his life on pursuit of this mission. And you know what? My, my joy is to try to pick up where he left off and try to carry on. Like, that's what we're here to do. You know, that's the power of somebody writing a book. Those of you guys who have lived, every one of you has lived a powerful testimony. And you know what? It says in Revelation 12, 11, the enemy, the devil, that dragon is defeated by the blood of the lamb, the words of our testimony, and not loving our lives when faced with death. 
Like he wrote his, he wrote quite a few different books. Like this is one of them. It's called Expelling Darkness, Engaging Non-Human Entities Now and in the End of Days. Like I'm holding this book and I get to sit here and read it. And this man, though he's dead now, he still can preach to me. He still can exhort me and still challenge me and convict me to go out and cast out demons, man, and set captives free. Like here he is. That's a legacy. And that's what happens. Like the reason I still get to, to pick up the words of Second Kings and I get to read the author that penned these words by his spirit thousands of years ago. And it still fills me with courage. It fills me with confidence. This is a living book. This book is immortal. Do you understand? This book is, is alive and it is so much more powerful at destroying those strongholds of the devil. And when we fill it, when we open our mouth and we fill it with that word and we forsake all of the entertainment, all of the news, all of the media, all the distractions from the satanic web that is out there to steal your mind, when we instead choose to discipline our minds, to have the disciplines of a righteous man, to fall on our faces and intercede, this is what marks us as the most dangerous people on the earth toward his kingdom. The disciplined man who is fervent in his prayers is absolutely incredible because he is a conqueror of nations. It's literally why it says in the book of Hebrews, he's like, these people turned the world upside down. These people can come into a country like Philip in Acts chapter eight. He literally comes into a city and turns it inside out like this, like to where the city that had been, been ruled by a magician, just like today where we've got a Marina Abramovich and these magicians who these people are like, oh, the ambassador to Ukraine, this great Satan. It's like, that we still have this priest class behind the scenes governing our society. In one day, Philip came in, demonstrated signs and wonders and power through the set-apart spirit, man, and turned that world upside down to where the magician was begging them, paying, willing to pay them for the power that they had. That is what we are supposed to have. We need 10 million believers who are like Philip from the book of Acts, who are like Stephen, who go and do these wonders to counter that chosen one army, to counter that black awakening. We need the sons and daughters of righteousness to rise up and move in the giftings and the anointings that he has set them apart to do on this earth. Wow. Wow. Powerful stuff, brother. Thank you so much for your story and your testimony and your insights. Um, I, I, I can't help but sense that we have just barely scratched the surface of, of what you have to say. Um, would you, would you be interested in coming back on the show sometime? Heck yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. We are going to consider you, uh, part of the dangerous info podcast family now. Okay. We've got, we've had an incredible roster of people who've come on the show and shared amazing insights, spiritual and otherwise. And we are extremely blessed. People don't ask for money. You know, they just want to be heard. That's how you know it's genuine. It's the people that have something to gain that you should be cautious and discerning about. It's the people who have nothing to gain and everything to lose are the ones that are going to gain my attention. I hope our listeners are the same way. They gain their, we, we you gain our trust because we know you have nothing to gain in saying all these things. Um, it's amazing to hear how he, God spoke directly into your life with, with, with a pastor who prophesied into you. And then he called you out of the darkness into the light. And then uh, transformed you and let you know that your past was not does not dictate your future, right? Rather, it is a is a powerful ingredient to your testimony going forward, right? He's the only thing. God is the only thing that can take what that was meant for evil and turn it for good. And you are a living, walking manifestation of that promise. And and that is nothing to be taken lightly. Everyone out there, I want you to listen to to this point. And he's already made it ten times over, but I'm going to just drive it home. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what generational curses are over your family. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. God can turn anything negative into something positive. He is, he is, he is love and perfect love casts out fear, drives out fear entirely. Okay. So you're, so if you're out there listening to this and you have timidity in your life, if you have uh, fear in your life, um, pray over it and, and then take a close, close look at your childhood and how you were raised. It doesn't mean your, your parents were bad people per se, but there may be a stronghold on your family. Um, when people have demons and they're being exercised out of them, oftentimes the demons will say things that, 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 that uh, inclinate that they believe they have a legal right to be there, that somebody somewhere made an agreement. And this has been generationally, listen, if you're listening to this right now, you may have this in your life right now. And it is nothing that Jesus, the great physician, cannot heal. Pray over your life, declare it in the name and the power and the blood and the authority of Jesus Christ to break every generational curse, every stronghold, to let you free of every grudge, pain, anger, resentment, hatred that you have, and replace it with perfect love, even for the people who've wronged you. And you will be set free and you will have new life in your uh, uh, new life in this terrible existence that we're living through right now. Focus not what is on, what is seen, but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. If you listen to Nathan right now, he is 100% focused on what is unseen. His prize, his crown is in heaven waiting for him and he is eager to receive it. And I want everybody out there in my voice right now to li- listening to me to, to, f- Seek it with the same fervor and ferocity that he. This is yours. Wow, that was interesting. <laughs> that uh, Ryan uh, Nathan, are you still with me? You bet. Okay. Yes. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to get. I didn't mean to get on my pulpit there. I just you would just inspired me immensely That's over awesome. and over again. So I just wanted to. Uh, I want to double down on what you were saying. Um, so listen, brother, we love you. Thank you for, for coming on the show this evening. Um, sorry about the technical difficulties. I think that we've maybe some, uh, somebody's at war with us. <laughs> we, some of our most powerful episodes, we have technical glitches like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you and I persevered. Uh, Jesse's a trooper. He'll, he'll, uh, we can, you know, we'll, we'll patch this together, but you, you, uh, you brought the fire and we thank you so much for coming on and, and, and God bless your family. Uh, anybody in my ear, in earshot of this show, uh, pray over Nathan Reynolds and his family, pray for their protection, uh, pray for wisdom and discernment on the deepest levels, pray, pray for deeper revelations and pray for his ministry to affect, uh, so many people that we can't even imagine. Just, just make sure that you pray over his entire life. Okay. We, we, he needs it. Um, I mean, he doesn't need it. He's got his own, you know, he's connected to the creator, but, but, uh, he'll take whatever he can get from us. And so, uh, pray for him and we'll, uh, we look forward to seeing great things coming out of you. Thank you so much, Nathan. Thank you guys so much for tonight. Absolutely appreciate it. And I appreciate your zealous desire to also see the kingdom come brother. Stay in the fight. (sighs) Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Good night. All right, everybody. So that was uh, uh, Nathan Reynolds. And um, man, like I said, I think we just barely scratched the surface with with Nathan. And um, we're really sorry about the technical difficulties. I know Jesse would love to have been in this conversation. but uh, he's uh, he's been locked out for some reason. <laughs> but um, hey, everybody, 
Uh, when Jesus came and he preached, he said, anyone who, uh, who comes to the, comes to Jesus, comes through him, can, can see the father. Okay. Um, nobody is, is exempt. I want to, um, read a little bit of, um, Proverbs for you that, uh, share it with you. Just for some reason, this jumps out at me. This is from Proverbs eleven, nineteen. Truly the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. The Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hopes of the wicked only in wrath. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but becomes uh, comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Um, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will li- will thrive like a green leaf. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and uh, and the one who is wise saves lives. When we started this podcast out this evening, remember Jesse, I was, I was praising Jesse for, you know, plowing people out in the snowstorm. And, he, you know, he doesn't, he's not looking for a, an attaboy or a pat on the back. He probably didn't even want me to bring it up. But my greater point is he's, is he did it. And when you, hey, hey, it's hard. Are you guys uh, both there with me? Sorry. Yeah, to bust we in can like hear this, you. But yeah, come on. Uh, okay. Give me a, give me a signal. Cause I am listening to, yes, hold on. You. Okay. Go ahead. I got thumbs up from both of you guys. I can't tell you what's listen tonight was the outcast and Nathan show. All right. And, and I appreciate that. I, I, it's been amazing for me on this side because I became an audience member halfway through the show. I became a producer. Okay. I, I I'm filtering all these chats that are everywhere and I'm trying to get them on the screen. I'm trying to stay with you guys by watching your mouth. Here's the thing. I have a live screen in front of me with no audio. Then I have rumble that I'm, I I clicked into rumble, but I'm 10 to 15 seconds behind you. So I don't know where I'm at (laughs) with you guys other than there's a lot of emotions that happened here in the last 60 minutes. I can tell that through all these chats and I want to thank you guys on the rumble. You guys have been great. Steven, Steven Neville one, I park 2003. Uh, there, there's so many of you over here on Rumble that are just wow. Thank you, uh, Twitch. You guys have been awesome as always. I, I, I trust in what you guys are are showing to me. I'm I'm I can close my eyes right now and I, and it's, it's the same thing to me right now. Okay, it's just like something is pushing me on just to help make the show more complete because you guys had all the audio. You guys had all the intellectual knowing that I wanted to be a part of, but for some reason I wasn't allowed to be a part of that today. We don't know the reason, but there, I'm sure there's a reason for it. I want to thank JC Hall and, and uh, Dr. Sean Brooks. They've been texting with me because they're watching live. They're keeping me they're, they're giving me so many ideas of how to get my audio back, but I can't, I can't get the audio back tonight because if I shut this machine off, we'll lose all audio. So I thought it's more important for me to be put in the blind uh, blind studio and let you guys handle what you guys handled. I don't know where we're at in the show. I, you know, I won't know until tomorrow until I listen back. But I'm going to scrap it together like Outcast said. I heard him earlier. Uh, I will scrap this together. And um, as far as the live stream goes and all the you know, rumble, that's all complete. It's going to be great. 
for the audio, the podcast. I got to scrap that together from the audio. I'll take it from this here on the live stream and use it. So, um, Nathan, <laughs> I want to, I want to bring you back, but I don't know where, like I said, I, I'm just behind. I'm watching you guys smile and stuff. Um, I want to bring you back. I, I need to talk to you on the phone after this, you know, maybe sometime during the week or whatever, but we need to do this again. I can tell. And there's some reason that I was not allowed to be in here and I, I and I'm good with it. It became the, like I said earlier, it became the, the outcast Nathan show, which I'm fine with because something had to happen here. I went and I clicked, you know, you, you guys heard those audio glitches and all that. That was me trying to get back in. I, I can't get back in. <laughs> something will not let me back in and I'm okay with it. Oh man. Um, so listen, I'm, Stay here with me for you guys. All right. Okay. I'm going to sign us off right now and we'll just sign off. This is totally different. I won't even, I'm going to play music, but I don't, I won't hear it, <laughs> but I'm going to try to make a, a, a sign off. So listen, I just want to say thanks to everybody out there. I'll go to my normal sign off right now. Nathan, just hang with us and um, I, I'll, I'll send you an email or a text or a call tomorrow and we'll figure this all out. Um, but from what I can tell, everything has been great. God's had his hand over all of this stuff, even though he took me out. There's a reason for it, okay? We don't know the reason for that yet, but I'm sure we will at some point. Uh, music Lover, Ham Hock, um, uh, Jack, Jack Pine Savage, Ivan L. Everybody over on Twitch, K-Dub, you guys have been so helpful guiding me. You know, I've got visual clues, and I've got your guys' faces on the live screen. So I, I got to stop talking because I'm talking too much, and I'm, you know, th just thank you guys for doing what you guys did. And there's some reason this happened tonight. We just don't know what. <laughs> Outcast, you did great. You did great, brother. Even though I, I'm 10, 15 seconds behind, you did good. So um, let's go into my intro and let's get us all out of here so we can get back with our families. All right. So listen, I want to say thanks to our guest tonight, Nathan Reynolds. You guys go visit him over there on uh, snatchfromtheflames.com. Okay. You guys um, go over there and do that. Snatchfromtheflames.com. Is that right, Nathan? I'm just going off memory now. Okay, good. You bet. Um, and also you, Outcast, for running the show. You're the host tonight. I, I was the co-host. I'm the producer tonight. That's how it is. That's what I'm saying. So, And everybody on the Dangerous Info chat rooms, thanks to all you guys for sharing the show. Um, JC Hall says, good job, Outcast. Amazing show. So um, I, I park. Everybody, powerful podcast. Thank you, guys. Um, Jack Pine, all, all good. Uh, good night. Um, yeah, so let's, let's do this. So. Um, I want you guys to read the description of tonight's show and get out there and check uh, all the, revel uh, the the notes. The show notes is what I'm saying, all right? Check all the show notes, and uh, that's how you'll be able to follow us. And you'll be able to, you know, subscribe, get a hold of us on my mailing list as well, as well as my emails. It may become the most important way to stay connected when the social media is eventually wiped out. All right? If you guys have something relevant to say, Email me, dangerousinfopodcast at protonmail.com. That's dangerousinfopodcast at e uh, protonmail.com. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. It's just crazy here. I'm trying to stay with it. Um, I want you guys to join us here every Monday night, live, 7 p.m. Eastern, right? Come back next week. Tell all your friends. Also, thanks again for listening to the show. I'm Jesse James. He's Outcast. He's Nathan Reynolds. Look at him. Check him out. As you guys go through the week, remember, be bold, be courageous, stay alert, and don't fall for the government media complex propaganda. It's coming at you at every level of your life. 
There's solutions to all the stuff we talked about tonight. It's up to you guys to act on those solution ideas. We love you guys. God bless and stay dangerous, my Patriot friends. Stay dangerous. The word smart, right? Remember when smart came along? Smart car, smart mm-hmm. phone, smart meter, smart watch, smart everything. People, you yep. know, I, I I knew right away when I first heard it, um, it was, you know, SM, S-M-A-R-T. People just think it's smart, like intelligent. It's not, okay? Smart, what it stands for, it's an acronym. Self-monitoring analysis and reporting technology. SMART. I had no idea. I'm going to repeat that again. Self-monitoring analysis and reporting technology. Okay. Wow. What this is, 